and welcome to The Farm, a podcast dedicated to culture, parapolitics, and high weirdness in all its many forms. This is yours, Recluse, a.k.a. Stephen Snyder, the longtime curator of the Visit blog and author of The Special Relationship, Trump, Epstein, and the Secret History of the Anglo-American Establishment. If you like what you hear here today, be sure to check me out at visitview.blogspot.com. That's V-I-S-U-P-V-I-E-W, all one word, dot blogspot, also all one word, dot com. And procure a copy of that book, Amount of Works, at the Farm's official store, which is at eFarmPodcast. That is eFarmPodcast, all one word, dot store. And please consider signing up for the Farm's Patreon. At the lowest tier, you get two additional full-length shows per month. That's between three and four hours of bonus material with exclusive gifts and content. And our all-access patrons have access to the Farm's monthly Zoom party meeting, my State of the Union addresses, periodic write-ups, dispatches from all the adventures I have, insights into the research that's ongoing over here, and all kinds of other goodies. It's a lot of material, guys, so definitely give that a consideration here. All right, today's guest is making his maiden appearance on the farm. He is an artist, writer, and university instructor by trade with a long-time involvement in international education. He's also been involved in magical circles for years, having been a member of the Welsh Traditional Craft, the Church of All Worlds, the Typhonian OTO, the Horace Matt Lodge, and many others. He is also a prolific writer. His published books include Global Ritualism, Myth and Magic Around the World, The Tale of Birthdays, Do Your Guardian Angel and You, Clean Sweep, Banishing What You Don't Need, The Book of Hor- of the Horn One, Naga Magic, Dancing with the Spirits, Festivals, Folklore of Japan, and was the co-author of The Book of Dog Magic and The Magical Garden. And he also has three limited edition grimoires published as well. They include Liber Sigil AIAF, Liber Phoenix, and Liber Eos. He is also the Elder Guardian of the Horace Matt Lodge and has edited and written parts of two books for the Lodge HML, the Complete Liber Pinea Prenembria, the Horace Matt Lodge book, and the Grimoire of Pan Aeonic Magical Tribe. Uh, I think he's maybe also written a Christmas Carol too. <laughs> and don't forget my my two books that are out now. Yes, yes, yes. We'll be getting to those in a second, uh, folks. Oh, it, it is with incredible pleasure that I give you guys the great Denny Sargent. I am, Denny, oh thank you so much for dropping by tonight, <laughs> sir. You have made my evening. No one's ever introduced me as the great. I'll take it. Why not? Oh, man, like I said, I've been looking forward to talking to you for a while, so this is definitely a pleasure. I'm so happy. Thank you. I just sit around a lot with my dog, so I'm not really used to a lot of uh, nice things being said about me. Thank (laughs) you. I'm excited to be here. I'm having a great time. I'm feeling good. Awesome. Let's rock the hell out of it. Absolutely. Well, there, there's no shortage of topics I would want to pick Denny's brain about. We get the magical child, Nima, Kenneth Grant, all that stuff comes to mind. But recently, Denny has been exploring concepts he dubs werewolf magic. And as regular listeners of the Far Well Aware, I am passionate about werewolves. So once I cracked his most recent work, Werewolf Magic and Authentic Practical Lycanthropy, I knew I was going to have to get the werewolf discussion out of my system before we could move <laughs> forward. This is an endlessly fascinating grimoire that also delves deeply into the history of werewolf cults, another obsession of mine. It's going to be a great show, kids. So on that note, let's start the show. Uh-oh. <laughs> 
All right, Denny. Shape-shifting and shamanism have been closely entwined since the beginning. How do you view the relationship between them? Well, it really boils down to animism. Animism was, uh, I'm I'm hoping people who are listening know what animism is, but very, very briefly, animism is really the earliest religion. We know that it's, we know that it was practiced in Paleolithic times. And it is, a, it is more than just a religion, it's a mindset. It was really a way of perceiving the universe and interacting with the universe. And the bottom line is with animism that everything is alive. Everything has spirits. And we, we've sort of narrowed the term spirit into certain things, but in, in the ancient times and in the animistic worldview, everything had spirits in it. Um, Native American tribes, a lot of them still have an animistic viewpoint. I've Hung out with people in the mountains of Thailand who were like the Loa and the Mien, um, who who were still very very um, tribal people, and and same with um, uh, tribal people in Guatemala. Uh, I've been in, I've traveled a lot of countries. I lived in Japan too, and J- I lived in Japan for four years, and that was the most exciting uh, place that I learned what animism was because Japanese Shinto uh, is in fact an animistic religion where spirits are everywhere and you walk around even downtown Tokyo and you know, there are shrines everywhere. And uh, in Japan, what was very interesting, and this is probably very, very different than it was in Paleolithic time. In Japan, there is a, um, they take rice uh, stalks dried and they weave like a rope and they put it around something that has a spirit in it, like a tree or a rock, or, or it could be just a small shrine or a temple. And then it and then it has um, flat, sort of white paper, white paper hanging things on it, and that that lets you know there's a spirit here, and often there's little signs next to it. Like for example, I was in the I was in the um, in the mountains. I was I was in Nagano and in, in other places, and there there were lakes, and almost every lake had a little had a little uh, wooden sign in front of it that said, "Don't swim in here. There is a white snake spirit." and it could hurt you. <laughs> now, this is a very technologically advanced country, right? And, and, and these people are as modern as they can possibly be. I mean, it, in fact, they have their act way more together. They have universal health care and a bunch of things. And the transportation system is fantastic. Yet everyone believes that there are spirits everywhere and that you have to work with them. So this is, it all comes out of animism. So. Animism is almost always connected also with relating to animals as people. So one of the great quotes I just got out of a book on animism was the, the, the world is full of persons. Some of them are people. In other words, we are just one living organisms. I mean, we are just, you know, human beings are just one set of living beings. In fact, everything around us is full of living be- living beings. So long ago, long ago, you read you read a bunch of my book. Like uh, the the earliest werewolf, I was I've always been obsessed with werewolves too. So you and I are brothers in the werewolf the werewolf fixation. And I always I always knew there was something super powerful and potent about it. And it and and full moons were always a big deal for me. But I didn't until I got into occultism, I didn't really have a connection as to what that could actually be. So the, the first werewolf uh, I found was a 40,000-year-old cave painting. And the, guy, the, the little figure is clearly a man. He has legs and a penis and arms. 
and, and a wolf head, and he's got a spear, and he's and he's going hunting. So this is so, the cave painting from France, right? About the sorcerer of um oh gosh. Oh no, it's not the same one, but that's another really good example oh, of okay. animistic shape-shifting. Yeah, the, they yeah, they call him they call him the, the sorcerer, right? No, this one it was found in Portugal. It is actually older than than that one. Oh, like, interesting. Was it near the Pyrenees? Excuse me. Yes, it was. In the Pyrenees. I, I knew that. I knew that. <laughs> oh, well done. I whoa, you get points. So the, the, next, the next time a quote-unquote werewolf showed up was in Mesopotamia, and it's in the, um, uh, 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 what do I want to say? The, the, not the king, of, the king of Sumeria. Anyway, there's a text where they're talking about um, the goddess of the underworld. And Rish Kigalor, I can't remember who it was exactly, but this 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 uh, um, guy, I think he was a, a shepherd, kept fell in love with her and kept bugging her and praying to her and offering to her, and and she finally said, "I've had enough of you," and turned him into a werewolf, and his dogs attacked him and killed him, which tells you something about some of those deities, I guess. Then the next step, then the next step was I I. I I got into this. I got into looking and researching. One, I have a master's degree in ancient history. So that anything like that just fascinates me. And then the other thing is that, I, and I'll, I'll talk about it later, but I got into werewolf magic because I, I had a, a horrible, horrible experience in my life, a really, really bad time. I lost everything. I lost my house, my job, uh, my ex, um, uh, like all my money, my health wasn't good. And I was really at the end of my rope and I was doing my nightly meditation, which is very tantric and very Eastern. And this wolf started showing up. And that's the beginning of that story. And this wolf spirit started showing up. And I'm, you know, I'm invoking, you know, Shiva and Lakshmi and Kali and all that. And all of a sudden this wolf, it just comes and starts sitting there in the middle of my head while I'm meditating. And I finally looked at it and said, what are you doing here? What are you? Like, why won't you go away? I've been vanishing and you're still there. And it looked at me and it said, you called me. You're the one who called me. You're you're in you're in deep trouble. You're in you are in deep trouble, and I'm here to t help you. All right, I'm I'm going to talk about that's how werewolf magic started with me. So back to the history. the 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 most famous first werewolf was um, in Greece, uh, and there was a t there was a huge temple in Mount Lycaon, which is in Arcady, which is one of the oldest parts of Greece. And even the Hellenistic Greeks referred to Arcady as the oldest center of, of religion and paganism and the gods. So it's old, 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 prehistorical. So there was this one mountain, it had, had a temple. And the temple they're now figuring out was probably somewhere around 15 to 20,000 years old and prehistoric. And there was a werewolf cult there. Mount Lakaia means wolf mountain. The, the head of, the, of the, the priest and also the king of the area was, was Lycaeus or Lycaeus. And at some point, how, how the actual werewolf thing happened in, in within the Greek mythology was, they, they clearly were doing shamanic shape-shifting into wolves, into werewolves or wolves, and they, this was part of their cult. And as, as I babble on, you'll hear that this was everywhere in the ancient world. There were werewolf cults everywhere. I was shocked the hell out of me when I started looking. I was like, wait a minute, this is a thing, right? So 
So, Lachaeus, the king, this is, this, is the, this is the Hellenistic version of the story, okay? So this is much later, and they kept changing, they kept changing it to make them look better, right? In this story, Zeus showed up to, to the temple, and Lachaeus fed him human flesh. There's various variations of the story, whether it was his son or someone else, and, and to see if he really was Zeus which is not something you would probably do to a god, but Zeus knew what it was, revealed himself as Zeus, and blasted, blasted King Lycaon, and, and um, turned him into a werewolf, and sent him into the woods. Now, the, the myth goes either for nine years until he came and returned back, or a couple of years until he came and turned back, or forever and ever. There's different variants of the, of the myth. So that's the first, that's the werewolf that you're going to see in most histories is the first example of a werewolf. So as I worked my way through this, I was like, huh, oh, this is cool. Here's something really cool. Okay, I, I'm, a, I'm obsessed with this, so it may or may not be cool to your listeners, but about a mile down the road on the mountain was the temple of Pan Lacan, meaning werewolf Pan. And Pan Pan is, is, what, is my utilitary god from when I was a little kid. And Pan helped open the door of the werewolf magic stuff for me because he's been associated with wolves and werewolves from the beginning. And it sounds weird because he's the, he's the, he's the pastoral god of sheep. But that meant that he also had a relationship with wolves that wanted to eat the sheep. So he, he protected the sheep, but he was also part of the wolves. Um, just to shoot ahead a little bit here, in, in Lupercalia, which is, which is ending right around now, it ended maybe yesterday or today, it was about a five-day orgy full of insanity, which was dedicated to the, to the goddess Lupa, the wolf goddess, who helped Romulus and Rima when they were children. They founded Rome. This is a real download, I know. But, but, but the main god that's worshipped at that time is Faunus. Faunus is the Roman Pan, who is also the god of wolves. So I, I started doing, you know, being a historian, I started going down these rabbit holes and going, huh, huh, huh. And I ignored all the modern histories. And I was reading, you know, Herodotus and, and Livy and Petronius. I'm reading like the classic historians. And more and more, like, like especially Herodotus and Thucydides is another, but especially Herodotus, who's, who's, who traveled all over the ancient world and kept talking about these werewolf cults. For example, one of, one of, the, one of his most interesting stories was that he went to the Nuri. The Nuri were a tribe in, what, in part of what's now Russia. And he, he just very casually says, I went to visit the Nuri. I learned a lot about their customs and, and he talked about their culture. And he said, I was there for a festival and they, all, the entire tribe turned into werewolves for one week. And he just says that like very casually. And then, and then they had a party and had a fe festival and it was really interesting. Okay. He, he mentioned this about a couple of places he went to where everybody, they just, they all sat down and said, okay, we're going to turn into werewolves. And they did and ran amok, you know, and, and had a big party and then came back to human altogether. Now this, this fascinated me because I'm thinking, okay, Herodotus is a really important historian and and, and yes, he was an ancient Greek and he, and he believed in the gods and the spirits and whatnot. 
but but it's a really odd thing that he found this in several places. So moving moving it along. Well, well if I, I could see, just if I could interject for a second. No, no with, please do. With, uh, uh, just you know, I wanted to get back to Pan here for a second because I know this okay. is something a lot of my listeners are really fascinated by. See, it's it's definitely my belief that Pan was a later uh variation on this lycos deity that you had kind of gotten in earlier which i think mm. is the, the original like kind of primordial primordial wolf god so i mean how do you have like an opinion on how pan was kind of transformed into this half goat uh deity you know from being this more werewolf kind of like lycos deity in the uh, original place and possibly the implications of that because i know you you know you kind of get into the lord of the forest later but i mean it does kind of give you the sense of the the horned one from medieval witchcraft and i mean how this might have originally been you know actually the wolf deity that they were playing to and not this this later goat version it, it there's definitely a connection actually if you're really interested in digging on this look into faunus faunus is overtly a half man, half goat, pan-like deity, but in, in Roman, in ancient Roman culture and, and mythos, but was also a wolf god. And, and when I started, like, it was interesting because I wrote my book, I wrote my book, um, um, Book of the Horned One, which took me about 30 years to write because I had been working with pan, I don't know how long, I've been working with pan since I was like, 13, 14. And I started, and all that time I had been getting, you know, personal information. And I had a, um, I had an encounter with Pan as well. I don't know if you want to hear about that, but um, so. All my dear friends have had encounters with Pan, Denny, so you might as well tell me. All right, I'll make it really short. Um, I was 14 and feral as hell. And, and this is a long time ago, long, long time ago, like early 70s. And I asked my mom to drive me to the Appalachian Trail and with my backpack and drop me off and pick me up like further down the trail a week later. I don't think any parent would do that with their kid nowadays, but she was like, all right, and just drop me off in the middle of the woods. Do you and, remember what state in the Appalachian Trail you were in, by the way? I was in New York State. Okay, okay. I was like, I, I was, so it was about, it was, it was just out of Westchester County. Okay, I was just, it would be funny if you were in wild and wonderful West Virginia when you had Oh, no, that would have been fun. I would love to do that. <laughs> I, actually, I've heard that's really good hiking. But um, so anyway, I'm, I'm, I was hiking and I hiked in and, and I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I mean, I, 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 I did, I, I had a backpack with some stuff in it and I was just, I was 14. I didn't, first time I'd ever been camping. But I was driven to go into the woods and just sort of be in, in Nate, you know, in the wilderness. And that night, I, 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 um, it was nice and warm and the stars were out. So I just lay down a blanket and got in my sleeping bag and lay there. And um, as I started to drift up to sleep, suddenly I had this incredible surge of fear and panic. Like for no reason, just this. And then I heard this like a, like a tick, like a, I don't know how to explain it. It was like. Basically, it sounded like a hoof on, on, on stone. It was like a, a, a tick bang kind of thing. And I looked up and there was, there was this large black figure hovering over me, like standing in front of me. I couldn't see it clearly, but 
but I saw that it had le it had crooked legs, it had hooves, and it had horns. And I was filled with the absolute most intense terror I have ever experienced in my entire life. Like panic, right? Like totally. I mean, to the point where I was, I was just like losing my mind. And then all of a sudden, it, it, it told me like, do you need, I just heard this non-vocal like communication, like you need to do these, this right now. And I did that. And all of a sudden it went from intense, almost painful panic to absolute bliss. And I knew, I knew it was pan. I knew it was. And then I fell asleep, boom, I was out. And woke up the next day feeling fantastic. And all the chatter in my brain had stopped. Like everything in my upper cortex had just shut down. And then I spent the next two, next week and a half or so hiking the trail in a complete state, a fugue state of just experiencing everything without thinking anything, which is a really, which is actually werewolf magic has helped me get to that place on a regular basis now of shutting down my upper cortex and opening up my lower cortex what Carl Sagan called the the dragon mind, or the, the the more the primeval brain that is a vestigial from when we were hominids, you know, monkeys. So that was my encounter with Pan. The the next day, I I I camped in a in a field in the middle of the forest, and was was sleeping naked as is my my normal thing, and heard something and stood up, and there was a deer literally one foot away from me, looking at me. And I went, uh, and it went, uh, and then we looked at each other and the deer looked at me and was like, oh, you're, you're good. And just hung out. And I just hung out there all day watching the deer. And then the babies came and danced around me. And then the buck came and checked me out and sniffed me and said, oh no, he's good. And they just sort of hung right next to me around me all day and, into, and then slept next to me, right? So this was the kind of thing. <laughs> there were other things that happened. I will. I'll stop there. But but that was my first hand encounter with Pan. And when I when I owned, like I realized, like I had been invoking Pan, with, you know, as a kid without really having any clue what that meant. And now I was like, oh, I'm a I'm a full on devotee of the God. And so some of the key things in my ritual work with Pan, very intuitive stuff that just kind of came when I invoked him ended up moving me into the animistic world and moving me into werewolf magic. Because when I was in the worst, like six years ago, when I was like near the end of my rope, I had lost everything. I was not well, I was not happy. I lost my house, I lost my, my ceramic studio, everything. Um, when the wolf spirit came to me, it, I didn't connect it with Pan at that point, but then as, you, as you've read in the book, I, I realized that there is, Faunus is the, is the, is the deity who I, I connect with the Lord of the forest and Faunus is essentially Pan. So can't escape Pan. <laughs> He's everything. Pan means all, right? I mean, it just doesn't get more interesting than that. Yeah, so no. I, oh, go so ahead. I was just gonna keep babbling, but did you want to say something else? 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's just interesting, you know, I mean, with the different manifestations. Well, um, okay, getting back to um, uh, Arcadia here for a second, to another one of the personifications, the Lycos deity, besides Pan and Zeus, uh, who were obviously known as Pan Lycos and Zeus Lycos when they were right. in their first right. personas, there was also Apollo Lycos. So, That's correct. Yes. What was his connection to the werewolf cults? Okay. And I find it also interesting how closely connected he was to the wild hunt as well. So what of it, and do you see those traditions as being interrelated? Yeah, okay. So when I started this, like, I, okay, this wolf spirit came to me. I, I asked, I said, all right, I, I'm at the end of my rope. I'll, I'll listen to you, you know? And I said, what should I do? And it said, follow me. Go into the woods, rip off your clothes, and let your animal out, and I'll help you. And I mean, I just went and did it and, you know, went up to the Cascades and, and ripped off all my clothes and, and ran off naked into the woods and took away one very important fact, always wear shoes. You don't have to wear clothes, but you got to wear shoes. So I found out the hard way and I, and I lost my mind completely and let go of everything and then went into a trance state of being a, like a werewolf trance state as this wolf spirit is kind of telling me like, let your animal self out and, and see yourself as, as half wolf and half man. And sure enough, it all came together. And then, and then I, shut off, I shut off all the stuff that makes us crazy. I shut down my upper cortex and just existed as an animal. All my senses got much more intense. I could see at night. I snuck up on a raccoon and scared it. I snuck up on a deer at night in the woods and, and scared it. I could hear, I could smell where the water was. It was insane. I had, by shutting down my upper cortex, I don't think it's anything magical. I think by shutting down my brain and just working on a pure primal level, I, I freed up all that neuro, neuro connections, all those neurological connections to 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 truly focus on my hearing and my speaking and my taste and my sight and all of a sudden i had all these kind of superpowers mostly because my brain wasn't sucking up all all the cognition you know dendrite flashing you know all the all the interconnections in my brain so all right so let me let me let me let me bring it back to paula i had no clue and I, I have an emanation history major, right? I had no clue that there was a wolfish Apollo. That's, that's how they refer to it in English, wolfish Apollo. And in fact, at the, uh, at the, um, uh, the in, in Greece, at several places, uh, but at the, what's it called? The, oh my God, I'm having a moment. The, the, the big temple up on the mountain in the middle, in the middle of Athens, the, anyway. Oh yeah, I'm not remembering it now either. Off the top yeah, of my head, so I don't feel bad. Not palladium, not the, it starts with a P. Yeah, it starts with a P. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I'm a what a bad ancient historian I am. Um, anyway, I I went there, and apparently there 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 was. It's in the museum now. There was a large statue, stone statue of a wolf that was worshipped as Apollo, and I found a bunch more stuff about Apollo and the wolf. And the reason he is connected with a wolf, and this gets really interesting, so is Artemis, right? Artemis is the wild huntress. She, she is connected with wolves as well. A lot of people say, oh, Artemis is the goddess who runs with the dogs. It used to be wolves. There's a lot of, wolves became dogs when wolves sort of disappeared in ancient Greece. 
pre-Hellenistic times, right? Same with, with, same with Hecate or Hecate. Hecate is often shown with three dog heads. If you, if you dig, you'll find images of her with three wolf heads. And, and this is the one that got me really good. I'm, I'm digging deep in all this. And I find this one historian who's like, oh, I have proof. And he, he laid it out. He said that, that Cerebus or Cerebus, the, the, the three-headed dog that guards the Greek underworld, was actually Hecate or Hecate. And I, I was like, oh, damn, that actually makes total sense. Since she was like a psychopomp and would help people enter the underworld. Anyway, I'm, 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 I'm going many different directions. But the interconnection is that Artemis and, and Apollo are brother and sister. And they're both connected with wolves. And then I, I kept going into the mythology and I was like, well, there's their mother. And their mother was impregnated, I can't remember by who, I think by Zeus. Zeus impregnated everybody. And, and uh, Zeus's, Hera, of course, tried to kill everybody that was born from Zeus's sex. So their mother, to save them from the wrath of Zeus, I believe it was Zeus, turned into a wolf before actually giving birth to them. And then when she gave birth, she gave birth to them after, after she was safe and reverted back to being a human. But they always had the wolf, I don't know what to call it, the wolf energy, the wolf power in them. Isn't that wild? No. Well, there was also the, you know, the because they're both associated with archery and hunting as well, which right. I think is kind of connected. And then also, I mean, Artemis has such a close connection with Pan, who in a lot of traditions, who gets yes. her hounds. Right. Her hounds, were it her, was it her hounds or her wolves? I'm going to best guess that it was in the earlier, earlier pre-Hellenistic world, Dogs and dogs and wolves were it were they used the same word. I didn't know this. They used the same term for wolves and dogs. I'm guessing that Pan gifted her her wolves. Later it became like all these myths during the Hellenistic, Hellenistic time, they cleaned everything up and got rid of a lot of the animism. But so there is this is a wolfish connection. At the very least, it, they're they're canids, you know. That if whether it's a dog or a wolf, they're they're still you know, canines, they're, they're in the Canada family. So, so, and they're not so, not so different really. So yeah, I think all those things interconnect. I mean, once I sort of put it in my head, like let's look for wolves and let's look for werewolves, all of a sudden they were everywhere. And then the next, the next one I found was in Rome. Rome is full of, was full of wolf imagery and wolf gods. The Roman, the Roman troops took over most of Europe carrying a standard in front of their army of a wolf. That wolf standard was kept in the, the temple of Ares or Mars. Well, there was also the um, the light infantry. I can't remember what they were called now, but they were the guys who had like the spears and they actually wore like those wolf skins and stuff as they yes. went into battle and like, you know, tossed the, uh, I think it was the pillias or whatever they called them at the enemies, like as sort of the onset of the battle to loosen up the heavy infantry of the other side. Yep. Yep. That's right. That's right. Very good. I forgot about that. Well done. And uh, so then, and then, I started reading, I'm trying to remember who it was. I want to say Petronius, but I don't think I, I don't think I have it right. Or Patroclus. I don't have it right. But there's a um I started going back into my ancient history books 
you know, Livy and, and other and other uh, and other Roman historians, and they all talk about werewolves like it's a normal thing. Like you know, there's the sun, there's the moon, there's this river, and there's werewolves. Like it's just like, well, yeah, of course there are. And they had a they had a they had a, a term for it. It's in my book, and I don't remember off the top. But they had a term for werewolves, and it was just a normal thing to say. Like, oh yeah, there's a bunch of them around, and they they changed when they when they when they went to. Anyway, the um, so. I, it, the, the best story I got out of Rome was that uh, this, this, the, the, the historian, and I wish I, could, I, I should look it up and find his name, but the historian said he, he went to visit a friend of his who was a soldier and said, look, I have to go do business in another town. It's, I have, I'll, be, I'll be riding my, my horse at night. I need, I need protection. Will you come with me? And he said, sure. So they went that they went, you know, they went down the road and they're they're out in the middle of nowhere, and it, the sun goes down, and then the moon comes up and it's full. And um, they they stop to have a drink, and the 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 big macho soldier looks at him and says, I'm so sorry, but there's something I have to do. And he tears off all his clothes. You can find this myth, it's uh, it's the story anywhere. He tears off all his clothes and he pees in a circle around them which turns them into stone, don't ask me what that's about, turns into a werewolf and runs off. Meanwhile, this guy's standing there going, what the hell, right? And just doesn't know what to do. So he hops back on his horse and just rides until he sees a farm, knocks on the door and says, excuse me, the, my guard disappeared and I need a place to stay. And they said, okay, sure. But there's a lot of craziness right now. There were people running around yelling. And he said, oh, what's going on? He goes, a, a wolf just attacked our goats and um, we stabbed we stabbed the the wolf in the arm, and he ran off. Uh, and so so we're a little bit frazzled right now. But yeah, you can stay here. So he, the next morning he went to the town he was going to. He did his business, and he he went back to Rome, and he hunted down the guy who was supposed to be his guard. He was really angry, and he knocked on his door like, "Hey, you you bailed on me. What happened?" He goes in. There he is lying in bed with a wound in his arm. <laughs> and he goes, aha, you're a Vespellus. You're a werewolf. And then he was like, yeah, yeah, I am sorry about that. It just kind of took over. So, so, so that was a great story about like, and this is just like in, in his, his, in his stories, he's just like, he's in his histories. This guy's just writing different things and that, you know, I went to this town and this town and this, this is the gods they worship. Oh yeah. And then there's these werewolves. So, so th there's another good one in Italy too. The god Soranus. Have you heard of the god Soranus? No, that was actually a new one on me. I was very interested yeah. with that one. Soranus is, he's a Sabine or Sabine. I don't know how to pronounce it. The Sabines or the Sabines were a really different culture. And they, they were in Northern Italy and they weren't classic Romans. They weren't, they weren't, uh, they weren't, they didn't look like Romans. They were very, very different. They had they they were lighter skinned and had blonde hair and they were a different they were considered like a different culture in a different world a different country of course the Romans you know conquered them but they really had their own thing Soranus was one of their gods and he was connected with Dispater Dispater is a Roman god of the underworld and a couple of other gods so this is a god that was connected with the underworld now where they are is a very volcanic region with lots of caves that are dangerous because they have constantly, they have volcanic gases and things like that. It's a very strange place. 
So the, the, the priesthood of Serranus, there's this huge cult center there and a huge temple. Um, one day they were, they were putting offerings on the altar for the god of meat. And, you know, they killed several, I don't know what, a cow or something. And all of a sudden, a pack of wolves comes tearing into the temple, grabs the food off the altar, and runs away. And the priests are really angry, and they grab their swords and run after the wolves. And the wolves disappear into a cave, and they run into the cave, and they got really sick. And a couple of them died because it was full of volcanic, um, volcanic uh, poisonous gas. And they, they, gave, they came out, they got out of there and they lost, their, they lost the meat and they lost the wolves. Apparently it didn't hurt the wolves at all. Because they, they, that was one of the comments was, yeah, the wolves didn't, weren't, it didn't bother them a bit. So they went back to the temple very upset. And they had this big ritual to the God. And they, 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 they had a guy, uh, I don't know if it was a man or a woman, go into a trance state and ask, and they did oracles and asked the God, what's going on? And, the, and Serranus came back with the oracle saying, you pissed me off. Those wolves were doing my bidding. They are part of my world. And, and now, now you've got to make it up to them. So what you need to do, and this is what they ended up doing, you have to turn into werewolves one, one time, one time a year for a week and, and do fire walking and walk on hot coals. Now, this is what's great about that. That is the only place in the entire Roman world where people did fire walking on hot coals. It's a really weird thing. So they did, and they took on a term, and it's in my book, and I don't remember. They took on a term for werewolf priests. And so every, every year, thousands of people would come from all over to watch them turn into werewolves and walk across the hot coals without getting burned. I just love that. I just what a great cult. I want to hang out with those people. So yeah, no, that's right. a good one. Um, I know, right? So, so that's that. In the Celtic world, there were tons of werewolves, and in Scotland, they still talk about the wolvers. The wolvers they saw as a separate species. They weren't people who turned into wolves. Well, they weren't sure. They might have been people once, but they lived in their own in their own world, their own tribal area. And they were considered happy, nice people. And the people, the Scottish people still, still talk about them, about them being awesome because they, they were fishermen. <laughs> you cannot make this up. Just look Wolver up on, on, on uh, Google and you'll be like, what? And they would, they would fish and they would leave baskets of fish uh, at, the, at the houses of very poor people who needed food. And they also help people who were lost in the woods. And I just think it's the funniest story because you can just imagine being lost in the woods in Scotland. And all of a sudden this wolf man comes up to you and goes, and you're like, ah, and he goes, hey, you lost? You need some help? I'll help you out. You know, yeah, come on, follow me. <laughs> so those are, that's, there's a lot of different wolf things in the Celtic world. In general, in the Celtic, it's in Ireland especially, but also in the Celtic world in France and in England, Werewolves were were, an, were a term that was used for the best warriors, and they had some sort of ritual werewolf shape shifting thing, like the berserkers, and I'm going to get to them next, who 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 could turn into wolves and be the strongest, most intense, badass uh, badass warriors. The, and I don't know a lot about Celtic stuff, so I had to really dig on this, but the the, the term ku c u 
is often uh, put in front of different people. There was one very famous hero, and I cannot pronounce it, Kuthrein or something like that, who, who also turned into a dog or a wolf. It gets very fuzzy when they start talking about dogs and wolves because wolves disappeared fairly early in the Celtic uh, era. And, and then dogs sort of replaced wolves, just like in, in, uh, in Greece. And there are tribes, there are tribes that are werewolf tribes. My favorite one is the Ossery tribe. And you're, you can, if you, if you look them up, you can read a ton about them. They're, they're, they're a tribe in, in Ireland that have always said, we are werewolves and this, it's in our blood. And if you're in the tribe, you're, you can be, you can turn into a werewolf. And, and they did. And, and several, several uh, like Roman historians who were, were going around Ireland and, and England when, when the Druids were being decimated and, and the Romans were slowly moving in, um, went to see them and, and said, oh yeah, they, this day, on this day, they have a festival where the entire tribe turns into werewolves for a week. And they eat and they run around like mad and they, they probably have mass sex everywhere. And, and, and then, then a week later, boom, they come back. There's also a, there's also a story though a lot, a lot of people, a lot of Irish are like, no, this is not true. That St. Patrick confronted the Ossery tribe and other tribes and said, you have to accept Jesus. And they told him to piss off and he turned them into werewolves. And, and that's their curse. And, but the Osprey people like, nah, <laughs> nah, we were always werewolves. We just, we probably just turned into werewolves to, to, to piss them off and tell them to get lost. So, I mean, there's a variety of these stories everywhere. Um, well, one so, thing, I, I mean, one institution I thought that was mincing from your work was the whole uh, concept of the Corios or the Minerbans. These were proto-Indo-European warrior societies that the tribal youths were sent into, and the institution probably had its origins in ancient Persia or potentially India, and eventually spread throughout Europe and the Near East, and the Nordic berserkers and the Spartan crypteria were all probably remnants of these bodies and probably a lot of these other Roman things that we've been talking about. So in their earliest forms, Members believed that they were being possessed by these, you know, by this wolf god, often after they had consumed right. entheogens. Right. And a lot of times this was done before they went into battle. Typically, they fought naked aside from wolf skins. Again, they would take, you know, maybe magic mushrooms or something. They thought that they were being possessed by the gods. And, you know, this was really the prototype for the berserkers and a lot of these other uh, groups. And it's probably, I think, a big reason why there's this, effectively, this tradition of these werewolves wolf cults all over uh, yes. Europe in the Near East. Yes. So what's your take on that? I have a bunch of info on that, actually. Um, oh, okay. It's not in werewolf magic. It's in werewolf pack magic. And I'm going to see if I can find this right now. Because, um, yes, they're Indo-European. And they they were, as the, Indo, as the, the, the Indo-European sort of invasion happened over a long, long period of time, there were roaming groups of young men who were, I mean, who knows, you know, they call them warriors, but who knows whether they were brigands or warriors or what, you know, did they protect, nobody really knows it was so far back. And they were called werewolves. But yes, I, I know about them. They were the pro, they were actually proto, proto. Um, uh, yeah, the pies. Yeah, the pro. Yes, yes. That's a pie. Thank you. That's it. 
the pie. So yes, I found that. I didn't find that until after I had finished Werewolf Magic and I threw it into Werewolf Pack Magic um, briefly. And I do have it somewhere. Um, I'll, I'll, ta I'll take a look and try to find it. But yeah, they were, they were like young, you know, young, you know, intense, like gangs. You know, they were like gangs. Gangs yeah, because I mean, basically, they you know they didn't have to abide by typical social no. norms when they were in this. No. You know, they could rape. They could, as long as they didn't do it to their own communities, they could go yes. out, and rape, and murder, and steal to their no, heart's content. I, I, I didn't see anything about rape, but it was more like. Well, see, they, that's actually probably what was behind, like the founding one of the founding myths of Rome, where you know Romulus like leads that band out and they abduct the Sibian women. Yeah, I that's think right. it is. That's right. That's yeah. That that's probably a remnant of the old, um, you know, Corio's tradition when they used to go Maybe out. So. Maybe so. Yeah. I mean, who knows? We're talking about such prehistory that we know very little, you know. But we, the. The Indo-European stuff, they're they're starting to translate more and more. And and that's I got I got very excited about the fact that, that that was interesting. And believe it or not, where I got more information about those early Indo-European uh werewolf cults was in I suddenly this I discovered in a couple of really good books about Slavic werewolfism. And that the the Indo-European stuff is is still pretty vital. Uh, in, in you know, in the ancient Slavic paganism, yeah, on the steps, yeah, because that was well, I know like right. one of the main sites that they found, I can't remember it, but it was like I think on the Russian and the Ukrainian stuff, but it's one of the oldest ritual sites, and it was really fascinating. This actually brings up a point too, I wanted to make when you were discussing with animism, but it's it showed some of the initiation rites that these kids went through. And one seems to have been buried alive or a mock buried being buried alive because they found pits and what have you. But another one is that they sacrificed dogs. And in a lot of cases, yes. these were probably, you know, dogs. They were quite older dogs. They had probably been raised as beloved pets by these kids, like for, you know, years. And then they were required to kill them is part of their initiation ritual and i think that's that's fascinating um in terms of you know animism and also sort of the concept of the wild hunt i don't know if you're familiar with the book the celestial hunter but it's an excellent yep. work but it, it yep. kind of postulates the notion that uh a lot of the myths around the wild hunt were partly are attempt to deal with the trauma of when we started killing animals for food sources because like you're saying like in the very ancient past we didn't really distinguish between human beings and animals they were all living right. entities and so right. forth and rocks so, and rivers and mountains i mean and when we started hunting animals i mean it was you know it was very hard for us because it was like killing another human being you know i mean it was the same kind of trauma and it's quite possible that when, you know, these kids were required to sacrifice their beloved dogs, that's what they were trying to re-implant on them, this original well, trauma that came with that. I, I, I'm going to say I'm going to say I have a different view of that because I have hung out with shamans from Siberia that came to Seattle. A friend of mine brought them over a bunch of times and I got to hang out with legit shamans, not, you know, I got a certificate at a new age store shamans. These, these are, these are the Nani Doro is what they call themselves, um, the, and other people call them the Ulchi tribe. And th their way of life is disappearing very quickly. But I got to hang out with them and um, do a couple of workshops with them and just go to and and, and talk to them. And I I was working for a while uh, as a as a um, writing writing a column 
for Pangaea magazine, which is unfortunately gone. It was really good. And I interviewed pagans who were priests and priestesses of different religious and cults because I wanted, I wanted to do that. And I talked to her, I interviewed her and I said, well, tell me more about this and about shamanism. And the Olchi, that, that I learned a lot and I got a lot of techniques from her about going into a trance state and going into quote unquote shape-shifting. And, but what, when, when she talked to me about what their, their main totem is a bear. And every year they would get a baby bear and raise it, the tribe would raise it like a child and they would spoil it and feed it and love it. And after, uh, I think it was two years, they would then ritually kill it and honor it. And my reaction was just the same as you talking about the dogs. I was like, whoa. And she said, no, 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 you don't understand. The God, the God, the bear God was present with us. We, we didn't hurt the bear. When we killed it, we killed it very humanely, but it, it took all our prayers and magic back to the spirit world to tell them that we were awesome and that they should continue to help us with all the spirits. So I'm, I'm guessing whenever I see these things like, oh, a dog, a dog was raised and then killed. And, and that was, that was not just, it wasn't just a precocious thing to do. It was very likely a very animistic shamanic ritual. Now, what's interesting is in Lupercalia, since we're at the end of it, or we would be if we were, we'd be a drunken mess by now. Um, in Lupercalia, in a, the, the, the ritual, the whole, the whole festival starts in a cave. And, and this is a, the big Roman festival. And one of the things they do is they sacrifice a dog, but it used to be a wolf. And it's the only Roman ritual in the entire Roman world where a dog was sacrificed. But they, they then, they, they then, I then saw that it originally was a wolf, but there were no more wolves. So they, they, wolves and dogs were seen as the same in many cultures. They were, they were both part of the same genus, even though we see them separately. So why, why would they kill a, a deer? Well, I mean, a, a dog or a wolf? Because again, it was part of, by killing the animal in a sacred, honorable way, you are you are sending a message to the gods. You are you are offering a lot of prana, a lot of a lot of powerful energy, in in a way that starts this festival. This was part of a ritual where the two people who were going to be the priests were then marked with the, with the dog blood or the wolf blood, and marked, and they killed a goat as well, and they put the goat's milk on their head too. This very intense ritual that shape-shifted them into being Luperci. The, the priests of, of, the, of, the, of, you know, of, this, of this huge festival was, were the Luperci, which meant werewolf priests. That's, that's what the term means. So they, this was all part of a shape-shifting ritual before they, you know, with, with they, they took off all their clothes and they wore the bloody, the only thing they wore was the bloody um, skin from the goat and then they took strips of the of the goat skin and then when they were in this feral state possessed by the wolf spirit possessed by by this you know this shapeshift they would then run amok in the in the in the festival and whip uh, women who wanted fertility and it was known as a huge fertility 
not to mention a drunken debauch. Yeah, that was that was also another one of the I was thinking the remnants from the old Corios days when uh they yeah, yeah, yeah. more than yeah. just whip them with the uh the goat skins. Well why were Oh uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Why we're in the looper cutty, one other thing with that too, or just in general with a lot of this that I find really fascinating is I mean, oftentimes you know, when you see this sort of Lycos deity or, you know, being like the Pan or the Apollo form or whatever, I mean, it's paired with some kind of goddess. Apollo had Artemis. I mean, Lupercalia, the uh, Palace Athenia is actually present on the same hill in her fortune. Uh, oh, no, they had the statue to Fortiano on the top right. of the hill. Yeah, that's um, late. They added that later. Yeah. 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 It was a little later. But yeah, that was sort of like what later took on that. But Pallas was another one who was sort of associated right. with Pan. And, but yeah, like why you often see this connection with like the goddess and then this sort of wolf or goat like deity. Like, what do you, uh, what's your take on that? Well, I mean, I think it's fairly, it's fairly straightforward. <laughs> I mean, Pan and Artemis, uh, you know, in, in, once you get into the later eras, like the Hellenistic world or the, the later Roman world, everything's been cleaned up and organized in a state religion. All of this came from animism and, and like very varied pagan cults and agricultural cults. Lupercalia, the Emperor Augustus, when he was asked how old was Lupercalia, his response was, we have no idea. It existed long before written history in Rome. It existed before the Etruscans uh, gave way to the Romans. We have no idea how old Lupercalia was. So they kept, of course, like they did in ancient, in Greece, like putting Zeus, Lycaia. Like there were many, many gods and many, many spirits way before the institutional religions moved in and, and started pairing them up. Just It's the same in India. Like, you know, Shiva used to be the, used to be the, the, the 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 mate of Lakshmi and then suddenly you know the Indo-European invasion came and the, the Aryan invasion sort of moved in and then and then you know now it's Lakshmi and Vishnu are the same and Vishnu came from out of this so all this stuff but but the earliest earliest stuff is really animistic and really primal so we don't know exactly what was going on but we know that like Pan is one that's been around from the beginning. And usually you can tell the oldest, oldest, oldest deities is if they're part animal, if they're still part animal. And, you know, now, now who's, who's the father of Pan? Uh, you know, is it Dionysus uh, or is it, is it you know, wh who is it? Because there's no real, real connection with, with who the, the, the parents are of that particular deity. So the wolves turned into dogs. Um, the wild women like Artemis turned into, you know, huntresses. Everything kind of, you know, got more organized and more uh, political, you know, so, so, the, you know, like the Vestal Virgin statue is there at Lupercalia, which makes no sense at all. But, uh, you know, it was a primordial fertility ritual, probably for the crops and the, and the animals. So it's, it all gets kind of jumbled. And I'm, I'm on this, this incredible, incredible journey to go deeper and deeper and further and further and further back. Because I want to get I want to get to the the real pagan stuff, the real animistic stuff, and of course there's no documents because they're all prehistoric. That no, nobody nobody wrote down anything really in, in the earliest stages. So anyway, it's fascinating. It's all fascinating. So do, do you want me to talk about the the Norse stuff at all? Are you interested in that? 
Uh, well, let's go a little forward here and get into the okay. Middle Ages a bit. Like, what were All some right. of the traditions of the werewolves there? Uh, you know, just in general in the Middle Ages. I mean, I know France especially. Oh, in the Middle Ages? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, the, the Viking stuff was, was earlier than that, so I can come back to it. But um, the the in the Middle Ages, yeah. So all of this, this is what's so cool. This is what's so cool to me, is that the real magic that was happening, the real people, the real pagan priests and priestesses who were, were on the ground, they were, they were peasants. They weren't, you know, you know, pontificus maximus, you know, they weren't like the, the, the high priests of the state religion of, of Greece or Rome or anything else, right? And this is why I like the Viking stuff because they never ended up with an organized, a really organized religion. It kind of, it, was, it stayed pretty, pretty loose. So in the Middle Ages, you have the breakup of the Roman Empire, which is basically what informed Europe because everything, they had been more or less there for a long time. But, but you also have some Greek, because the Greek stuff mixed with the, and the Egyptian stuff came up and mixed with, with the Roman and it all, and then Rome fell apart. And then you have the black, the dark ages, and you have a complete disaster. And then Christianity came in and kind of screwed everything up and became more and more intense. So the first werewolf stuff I saw uh, in the middle ages, because I dug deep into the, into the witchcraft documents, which are really horrific and very few people go through the actual trials where people actually confess things and talk about things that were very interesting. But the, none of these people, none of these witches were particular, were literate. They couldn't read, they couldn't read Latin. English didn't exist at that point. I mean, very, it kind of did, but it was a, it was a spoken, mucked up language. I mean, it was, it took William Shakespeare to actually codify a lot of our spelling and grammar. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was these people, you know, they, they, had, they knew Saxon, they knew a few of these, these, these things, and they kind of all mushed together. But the, the aristocrats and the church didn't give, didn't give a damn about that. They, they, you know, if you didn't speak French and if you didn't speak Latin, you were a nobody. So they just let the peasants do what they want. And so traditional crap, witchcraft stuff, the old pagan beliefs, animistic stuff, which is, is still, still practiced in a lot of these countries. Where you know you leave food for the brownies, or you leave food for the elves, or you know you do this to make sure that the tree spirits help you. Yeah, this is all—it's all still bubbling up, you know, in that in that time. So during the Middle Ages, um, they, the church just was trying to get a handle on the pagans and trying to take over. So they kind of left the werewolf stuff alone for a long time, and and they knew, like they they in the in the early church documents, they talked about, oh yeah, there's there's a lot of people who are werewolves, but we just they don't bother us we don't bother them <laughs> which is kind of interesting and then in 1400 i want to say 1470 a bishop of france declared that well first they had a meeting of all these bishops and one of the things they, they were trying to get their act together with what was christian what was not you know it was a mess the Council of Nicene had just happened, so the Bible had gotten chopped up. And, you know, they were trying to get, like, some coherent religious thing together. And they had a big meeting about stuff. And one of the things they ended up talking about was this werewolf thing. Because there were a lot of, lot of pagans and witches, well, they didn't call them witches, but whatever, who, who could shapeshift. And, and they, they had been leaving it alone. And they came to the conclusion 
that if someone could turn into a wolf or a werewolf, that it wasn't by the grace of God. Because, I mean, right? Like, duh. Like, like God's not going to help people turn into wolves. Therefore, it had to be Satan. And from that time on, it was, it was a sin, and it was a terrible sin, because you were working with and for Satan. So that didn't happen until, like, the 1400s. It really got going in the 1500s and 1600s, where they actually started killing werewolves. So, so it was always there, and then they suddenly decided, okay, we're going to get all these people. So I, 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 I could go on and on about the witchcraft trial documents. I have an entire pile of stuff about it. But the bottom line is that the, the witch cults that I actually, that I found that sounded legit as they were torturing them and getting information um, also had an aspect where they, they learned shape-shifting as part of the coven. And I, I have it in the book, and you've probably seen that, um, where they they rub a salve on themselves, which was very likely psychedelic, probably had henbane and, and atropine and all, you know, the, not really good psychedelics, but it probably Amanita was involved too. But they, they would rub them, some themselves, and then they would do this big ritual, and then they would turn into wolves or werewolves and go run amok and then come back. That was part of the, the, the coven. That was part of what the coven did, aside from other things. And the, the head of the coven was known as the dark man or the black man or the lord of the forest or Satan or the devil. No, they didn't use Satan. They said the devil. So this is why in werewolf magic, I use the lord of the forest because it's the most, it's the widest term I can use for all those deities that embody the wildness of the forest, you know. And this is the werewolf spirit kind of like guided me on a lot of this stuff. So yeah, don't, don't muck it up by putting lots of God names on stuff like that. This is primordial, just go with it. So, so the bottom line was that as this sort of got underway in a real horrible sort of Christian jihad of killing as many witches as possible, thousands and thousands, some people say you know, millions and millions of people were killed. I have no idea, but I know a lot of people were killed. What's interesting, and nobody else seems to have said this, is about half of all the witches that were grabbed, caught, tortured, and killed were also accused of being werewolves. And I found it straight out said that basically witches and werewolves suddenly became one issue for the church, which is pretty cool. <laughs> well, yeah, it was interesting when I was reading it. I had never really thought of it before, but I mean, it did strike me how a lot of the uh, kind of classical conceptions of the witch cults of the Middle Ages mm -hmm. were very similar to the notion of the Koryos, because again, you had sort of the wolf deity in this case and the personification of the, you know, Lord of the Forest or the Horned God or whatever, the sort of uh you know next incarnation of pan as the head of the coven you had the use of you know shifting maybe more possession you know kind of by like the wolf deities all this other stuff i mean it did sort of remind me as some similarities to that yeah yeah anyway let's start getting into some of like more of the magical approaches that you were looking at so let's start off with your conception of the double and how it like applies to werewolf magic can I can I just get, do about a minute of talking about the the uh, the Viking stuff? Okay, yeah, sure, sure. Because the cool thing about that is the Eddas, which were their holy books essentially, were saved because pagan Vikings went to Iceland and hid them. We don't have any of the holy books of the witches or the ancient uh, Greeks. I mean, we don't have a lot of stuff, but we do have their stuff. 
And what was very what was very interesting getting into that is okay, everybody knows what berserkers are, right? Berserk means to wear the skin of the bear. But a lot of a lot of these warrior sorcerers wore the skin of the wolf and were called Ulfsark. And if you ever see the movie, uh, and it's a really good movie, um, The Northmen, there is a scene that really inspired me because it is very similar in many ways to the sort of the initiatory ritual work I do with, with people who want to, to experience the shape-shifting. Um, psychedelics are involved and, and letting out the animal and all this stuff. And so anyway, there's a lot more to be said about the Viking stuff. And these are the people who are interested in that tend to get really drawn to this. Um, but I'll, I'll stop there. But there's a lot to be said about it. I mean, Odin was the god of wolves, you know, and, and shape-shifting. So... magic what do you want to know well let's start with your conception of the devil and how it applies to where your brand of werewolf magic the devil the double the double oh the double okay i was like, I was like no no devil the double all right so th this is this is by a uh this came to me i what's fascinating is when i start rolling on a book like this a lot of times synchronicities happen and in this book was the most synchronicities I've ever had. And I'm quite sure this spirit was feeding me because I was trying to figure out, I, I, I was stuck and I couldn't finish writing the book. And then I found this, this, this really excellent historian named Lacanteau. And it's, it's in the book, it's, it's in the back of the book. And he's an academic, but he's also really interested in this stuff. He also turned me on to the Lupus Dei, which were the, the wolves of God who, who were arrested <laughs> They were they were werewolves, but they were arrested by the the Inquisition, and they they're the only group that talked their way out of it. In in the in the in the trial, they stood up and said, "No, we are the wolves of God. We're protecting you from Satan. We're protecting you from evil. We go down to the underworld and we steal things like good luck for for our town. You don't mess with us." And they found them not guilty. So so <laughs> so this stuff, I I, I ugh. So I found Lakanto, and he's the one who introduced me to the double, which actually was connected with Greek, Egyptian, and Roman philosophy about the soul. The, we, in, because we're Jude, we're in a Judeo-Christian country, there's one soul, it's your, it's yours. When you die, it goes to heaven or it goes to hell. That's it. That's very, but in the ancient world, we had several souls. And one soul, like like in Egyptian, there's we'll just talk about the Ba and the Ka as a quick one. The, the ba is your is your etheric body, your 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 energetic body. And when you die, it can haunt people, it can it can go into objects, it can be used. It's what ghosts are, is the, the ba. The ka is your true spirit, is your true spirit self, right? And when you die, it 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 goes somewhere, depending on, on what you believe. So the ba or the energetic body is what is how you become a werewolf. And I, I started reading his stuff and he, he had some great history and he, he had some great quotes of, of how people shifted into werewolves. And it was by, by molding and, and, and using your etheric or, 
aura, whatever you want to call it, your etheric body or your aura, you it's malleable. You can you can through trance state, through focus, through probably psychedelic drugs, you can shift it into what you want. And 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 since wolves and the reason and you know sometimes people ask me when I do a book sign they're like why wolves, because they were the apex predators across all of Central Europe and and Scandinavia. And when I, when I was in, for example, when I was in Morocco, it wasn't where wolves, it was where hyenas. And when I was in, when I was in China, it's where tigers. And when I was in, when I was in Japan, it was, there were werewolves, but there were also where tanuki, uh, which are raccoon dogs and where cats. And you see that in some of the, the horror movies they, they throw out. So anyway, that, that is where I got the idea of the double. And, and he backs it up with tons of great research, lots of quotes uh, from classical um, historians and authors and stuff. And, and I was like, oh, this, this is the key. This is what I was looking for. Like, I, I mean, I had all the pieces of how, I'm, I've been trying to put this together, you know, and try it for myself because it worked on a very primal level for me. I mean, just going to the woods and blah, you know, but I also realized like to make this something that is a practice, you know, a shamanic practice, taking my information from shamans I'd hung out with. I hung out with shamans in Guatemala too. And that was an, that's an amazing story to tell sometime. Um, they rocked my world. I met, I met one guy who was a shaman and he said, oh, you're into it too. And I said, yes. He goes, all right, we're going to give up a lot of the tourist stuff. I'm going to take you to meet shamans. And they, they, created a, they created a tornado in a room. I mean, I saw stuff that you can't believe. So anyway, that took the shamanic stuff. Then I started to realize that this stuff was really doable. And then, and then pieced together stuff from all the ancient world. And then the double was the key linchpin of it all. Because what exactly is doing what to what? And Lakanto has a, a, great, a great amount of stuff. The book that I really liked was called uh, Witches, Werewolves, and Fairies. Uh, and I highly recommend it. It's actually, you would love it. It's a great read. The guy's very erudite. Very I actually well. think I have a copy of that. It's, Do uh, you? It's almost like a reference book or something, right? Or something. Um, well, kind of. I To me, it was like it was like a novel, but it, it, it's, it's loaded. It's more like, an, I think it was an academic thesis is what it was. But I live for that stuff. So, I mean, yeah, I, I chewed the whole thing up. Read the part about the lupus deae. The, the, the Wolves of God. That is one of the greatest chapters ever. In fact, I quote Thies, who was head of the Lupus DA werewolves, like the righteous werewolves and, uh, in a couple of places in my books. And anyway, so that pieced it all together. Then I had all the pieces and then I had to put it together and try it. And the thing that helped me was this, this spirit, this, this wolf spirit, who sometimes showed up with three eyes, one, is, one in his forehead. Um, and if you go to my website, werewolfmagic.com, it's the first image you're going to see is, is the werewolf spirit I'm talking about. And a lot of the symbols that have emerged for the werewolf cult that I'm, I'm starting up again. I have a long, I'm, I'm just continuing a long line of werewolf cults. I, I, I feel very honored. Like it's kind of shut down and I'm just reviving it, you know? <laughs> and apparently there's a lot of people interested. I've got all kinds of people interested. I, you know, I've written, I've written like, you know, 12, 15 books and th it's werewolf magic that has got me the most, you know, podcasts and videos and, and people coming to my website. Who knew, who, who friggin' knew, not me. 
Well, I mean, so, I, I can't say that it really surprises me. I mean, it just really? seems like that this this wolf spirit and the sort of cults, you know, I mean, especially when you kind of get into the stuff with the choreo slash buns and what have you, it's just it's appeared i mean really since the dawn of recorded history probably yeah. earlier and it just seems to keep yeah. manifesting in all of these cultures in different forms uh i mean another one you know i personally think even though it's not really implicit with the werewolves but you know you could sort of look at what the middle ages uh would be the chivalric orders knighthood i mean i kind of think that was another way to recreate some of this stuff as well, well there are certain there were certain knight orders like the vellum which were pretty nasty people the um they were from they were german well um, also the monastic well, orders that like a lot of the chivalric orders grew out of because actually like the knights templar for instance were started essentially by the cisterian order and the knights hospitaller were started by the benedictian order and what have you but like i actually think saint benedict was a catholic attempt to like uh co-opt woden for instance and then like with saint francis i mean well francis was a troubadour to begin with and i mean you see all these shamanic elements that are applied mm -hmm. to him i mean he was the one who tamed the wolf who was said to speak to the birds and all this mm -hmm. other kind of mm -hmm. stuff I, I i've got a better saint for you saint mm -hmm. christopher oh yeah 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 that was another is often shown as a werewolf yes 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 and, yes. and, and i just i dug deep on that one i'm like what so yeah you have like the literal wolf saints too so yeah, yeah the literal wolf saints and they're badass i mean <laughs> i mean Christianity took up animism like everyone else did. I mean, you, you can't escape it. I mean, if you're religious, you at a certain point you understand that everything is alive, you know, and and that and that and like Saint Francis is a good example of someone who, who who treated animals as people. Like that's the classic animistic viewpoint. Like even Native Americans today, like like Chief Seattle, I'm 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 in Seattle. Chief Seattle is what his real name was. He has this whole screed at the white people about how we do not fear the forest. You do. We do not go in and kill the animals. We honor them and we and we talk to them as our brothers and sisters, and we tell them we are hungry. We need to eat you, but we will honor you and we will respect your remains and blah 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 blah. I mean. Most all the tribal cultures I've been lucky enough to hang out with in, in a number of different countries all have the exact same viewpoint that we are not the we are not that the head of the world. You know, the Bible says that, you know, that, oh, God gave us dominion over the earth. They don't believe that, that their response is we would not be here without the animals. They showed us what to eat and not eat. They showed us where the water was. They, they, they taught us everything. As if you can, if you talk to them and work with them, they show you everything. They teach you everything that you need. And, and, and I mean, I've heard this over and over and over again in different tribal cultures. And they don't understand why do white people come in and kill all the animals? Who, how are we gonna eat? How are, how, you know, their, their, their dung feeds the forest. It's going to destroy the environment. And, and lo and behold, it's destroying, you know, that and other things are destroying the environment. We are destroying, we, Judeo-Christians and, and all, you know, those, the monotheistic religions are destroying the planet. So this is one of my main sort of things that I came, that came out of werewolf magic for me. I, I've been doing this now for six years and I've, I've honed 
the, the shape shifting down. I was at Starwood last last summer. They 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 flew me out, and I I had two hundred people shape shift. I had no idea if it was going to work, and it was it. They went, and I came to understand as I've been doing this with the number of groups of people, the more people, the faster pe- people go into a fugue state and a trance state and, 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 it, and get shut off their upper cortex and go into a, the, let their animal self out and, and go into a werewolf mode. It's kind of amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like, holy moly, I didn't think it was gonna get like this. <laughs> I thought this was just something for me. I wasn't even planning to write a book. I, I went to Pantheacon, the last Pantheacon, and I had four book proposals that I wanted to show to two, to two different acquisition editors. And I, my friends were like, no, you need, to, you need to write up one for werewolf magic. I said, nobody's going to. That's wacko. No, no, no. Yes, all right. So I put together, I slapped together a, a proposal. Both of the both of the editors threw away the other four and said, "We want werewolf magic." I'm like, "Are you kidding?" <laughs> I like know. I said, I mean, I just I think it's you know the time for this stuff to remanifest. I mean, I think it's like the same thing with the pan stuff because you see pan so prevalent everywhere with you know Hellier and Penny Royal, the rediscovery of Jack Parsons. I mean, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. So it, uh, it's but, funny. But it's look, funny look, because I just I just did a huge pan ritual for winter star virtual on zoom and then i did another workshop on the different the different chakra centers and how they connect with pan uh so it's funny you should mention that because they they wanted me to do pan because they saw my book my my book of the horned one which is i i think is the best book out there for pan magic but i would i would think that so yeah all of a sudden pan is starting to pop up everywhere so you're not wrong yeah, I mean, it's all really coming back in a sense. Uh, it's, you know, a fascinating development. Um, but on the notion of fascinating developments, let's unpack your concept of wild, uh, wilderness, weird, and the and way, I believe. Okay, and, and then and then I'll, I'll give you a quick rundown on how, how I do the shape-shifting okay. and how simple it really is. Um, so the, the wildness, these are all things, so all these bits and pieces came slowly. And, and I just, I just listened, you know, I went into the woods and I went and I went and did my thing. And when I was in a trance state, I would ask the wolf spirit, like, what, tell me, tell me more. What do I need to know? And, it, it, you know, it started off by saying, you don't need to know anything. Just let, let your animal self out. I guess what Jung would call the shadow. I, I see it as a slightly different way, but it's, it's our primordial self, right? It's, it's what's, what, what Carl Sagan called the, 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 the dragon mind, but we, we, we contain, we contain all animals. I mean, I think you know that. We contain the genetics of every animal that ever existed from the first, first cell. We, we literally, our brain, our brain grew over thousands of years, layers upon layers and layers. I mean, the, lo- the smallest rooted part of the brain is, is very primeval. So, I mean, all of this stuff is, is in us. We, we are 98% genetically the same as chimps. We are 87 genetically the same as wolves. So to me, it's not magic. It's just, it's, it's what spirit called atavistic resurgence. It's reaching down into our genetic memory and our, our unconscious mind and letting out the animal part of ourselves that isn't thinking all the time. So I'm sorry, where was I going? You wanted me to talk about... 
Oh, weirdness. Wildness and where, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, so, so all of this, when I go out and I, and I, I take off everything and I go into an animal state, I, I ask Gaia, because the most exciting thing about this is the wildness is for me that once I'm in a fugue state, once I'm in an animalistic state and have shut off my, cog, my higher level cognition, all of a sudden nature accepts me. Like I told you the story about the deer weren't afraid. I had a, not long ago, I had a bear come right up and sniff my chest, a big black bear. And I was just delighted until I realized, oh, it can kill me. But so I, I've had animals show up when I'm in that state of consciousness because they're no longer afraid of me. And Gaia, the earth spirit, and it's, it's a legit entity. I mean, it's real. We're standing on it, right? I have much more access to it. So once I'm in the woods and I'm in this trance state and I, I get my hands and my, my feet into the earth, I get feedback loops. So the wildness is the most important part of what I'm doing. It is that part of us that is animistic, that is primal, that is that is pre-upper cortex development, that is paleolithic, that we, we have direct interface with nature. We know when the seasons are changing. We know how to call the animals to us. I mean, you know, you, you talk to these tribal people, they live in this world where they are part of the wildness and they see the, and talk to the spirits and they, 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 when they need to go hunting, the shaman, like the shaman, the Ulchi shamans I talked to, when, to get food for the tribe, they would go into a trance state, leave their body, find where the elk were and come back and tell the hunters, okay, go here and here and here, you'll find them. And, and they did that for, you know, they've done that for thousands of years you know, healing people and, and helping guiding dead to the, the underworld. And they do this by letting their animal out and, and possess them and give that gives them a, a direct plug-in to nature and direct plug-in to Gaia, which I didn't realize until I actually was in the middle of it happening. So the weirdness is, is um, excuse me, the wildness is everything that is important in our world. We think, you know, we think houses and buildings and jobs no, no. The most important thing is the vast interweb of, of life that, that literally Gaia gives us everything. Gaia gives us oxygen and water and food and, and materials to make houses. And, and I mean, it gives us everything. And every, every tribal culture knows that. We have somehow, in Judeo-Christian culture, we have come to this place where we think we control everything. And that everything comes from us, but our houses are made of wood, you know, or concrete, which is stone. Everything comes from Gaia. Everything comes from the wildness. The problem is we are walled off from the wildness. People are afraid to go into the woods. I live in, I live in Seattle. I go hiking. There are signs saying, beware of cougars, beware of bears, beware of, of, of eagles. If you're near a nest, they'll come and scratch your eyes out. And that fear of nature is, is normal in our culture. It's normal. You see the few hardy people who are out there hiking in the really wild, wild, wild areas. They're not afraid. They're like, oh, you know, if you, if, you, if you enter the wildness as part of the wildness, then it's not going to hurt you. I mean, it sounds silly, but Native Americans have been saying that forever. If you fear the, the forest, you, are, you will be pushed out. You will be rejected. 
I mean, it sounds all ooky spooky and mystical and magical, but it's pretty real. It's pretty real. So that's the wildness. The weird, W-Y-R-D, I use the term, the, I, I, Vikings used it, but I, I couldn't think of a term for it. And, it, and the wolf spirit said, look, just use this term. It's a, good, it's a good term. The weird is the vast web of interconnected energy that flows through nature, which most of us are walled off from. We don't see it, we don't feel it, we don't, we, we don't believe it exists. And if you don't believe it exists, then it doesn't exist. People just see, see nature, a lot of people just see nature as a source of wood and rock and, and you know, the, uh, and animals we can kill. Like they, they, it's just, it's for us to do with as we will, as the Bible says, you know, it's up to you. You can kill anything you want. But when you are part of nature, all of a sudden, when I'm in a trance state, I can see, I can see the light and the, the energy webs of everything being interconnected. I mean, last time I was out in the woods and I was doing this, I, I looked down and saw, I could see the energy webs going down into the ground. And I was like, what's that about? And then I saw, oh, it's all the, it's all the, it's all the, the spores, the, the fungi that keeps the interconnects the trees and inter interconnects everything else. It's the cilium. It's, and, and then I, anyway, I'm just sounding like a crazy person now, but it, it, everything is interconnected. Anyone who meditates, especially out in the woods knows this. It's the flow of energy goes through us and, and comes out of us and comes into us. Just we breathe the air and then we breathe out CO2. We're interconnected with the plants, with the trees. They take our CO2, they give us oxygen. I mean, there are so many other ways of looking at the fact that we are deeply embedded and interconnected with nature. And when I'm in my animal self state, when I'm in my werewolf state, I know it. I don't think about it. I don't cognate about it. I shut my brain down and I am in it. I'm in an animistic, complete moment of Yes, it's all there, and I don't have to talk about it, and I don't have to cognate about it. I just reach into it, and I feel it, and I reach myself into it, and I feel it. So the weird is the weird is on a, on a more metaphysical level. The weird is is sometimes referred to as fate or karma, and but to me, when I'm in that state of consciousness, nature is fate. Nature is karma. Our, our world gave birth to us, you know, the first cell of life that came, came out of the water and, and the world, Gaia was here way before we were. We are, you know, everything in our body, you know, our bones, our flesh, it all comes from, it all comes from the earth, you know, with some solar energy and some other energy. So I, it, to me, when people say, oh, it's, it's ooky spooky magic, I'm like, there's nothing magic about leaning against a tree and feeling the energy of it. It's, it's real. It's a real thing. They're not just pieces of, of, of cardboard to throw around. These are living, vital people, just like the animals are. So that's the weird and the way I can't really say much about. I'll tell you how I came up with it, because I knew there was a third one. I knew there was, and my my wolf spirit just said, mm -mm, you, "You're going to have to find this one." And I went back to Japan to see a friend of mine who was actually uh, dying, and 
we we went to a shrine way out in the woods, a really primal shrine, like a really old one. And it was for the Tengu, that is the mountain spirits, the, the forest spirits and the mountain spirits, which is unusual to see that kind of shrine. And I went to it and uh, I hung out there and I meditated for a while. And then I got it. I got it what it was. The most important thing is not, you can't say what the most important thing is. You can't talk about it. it. It is that state of being where you simply are being. Yeah, it's like I the mean, unspeakable, essentially. It is. It's. I don't know how to explain it. Like the, the Japanese use the term wei wu wei, or excuse me, the, the Chinese use the term wei wu wei, which, which translates as nothing doing nothing. And that's the state of consciousness that Tai Chi people are looking for. And, and in Japan, they talk about wabi-sabi. Wabi-sabi is a state of consciousness where the natural expression of what's around you is exactly what it should be. None of this makes any sense, actually. I, I, I tried to write about it like five or six times and threw it away. I was like, it, it is that state you reach when you're in, for me, well, if, if you have Satori or you have, you reach Nirvana as, as, a, as a Tantric, or, you know, if you, you're a Tai Chi or, or you're a Taoist master, you reach that state of absolute sublime, all consciousness. That, that, that's kind of where that's at. But in, in terms of my werewolf magic stuff, I can, I can touch it when, my, when I shut my brain down. When, when I go into the werewolf fugue state and I'm sitting in the woods and an hour goes by or two hours go by and I have no conception that I am using one or two hours. Like those ideas don't make any sense to me at that point. The Tao just, of the werewolf. Yeah, that's it. It's the Tao of the werewolf, I guess. I'm just in a state of being which is what animals are. See, I mean, that's the key. That's the joy of werewolf magic, right? It's like being, I have a dog, obviously. And, and my dog doesn't know what time it is. He doesn't know, you know, when I go away for a few days, he doesn't know whether I've been gone for a few days or, or 10 days or one day, because he's living in the moment. My dog just lives in the moment. And all animals live in the moment. They don't cognate. Monkeys are a little bit more, have more going on in the upper cortex and think, think a little bit about the past and future, but not so much. We spend like 90% of our cognition thinking about things that aren't real, things you're worried about, things that haven't happened, things that you think happened, but you're not sure if they happened, things that happened last week, which are not really what you think happened, right? We spend most of our brain thinking about things that aren't real. <laughs> I mean, really, think about it. But when I'm in that state, I'm just there. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that makes any sense. I sound like a raving lunatic. Oh, no, I get what you're saying. I'm um, still a raving lunatic. But, all right, so how did you get into the concept of werewolf lingo and how you incorporate it into uh, the, you know, the notion of ascension and dissension techniques? Okay, right. And you, you, were, you had curious, so I'm going to actually demonstrate. So... As I piece this together, this so, and, and I, I was doing it for myself. Like I said, I wasn't planning to write a book. I was like, okay, I can't 
what I what I realized because I believe it or not, when I the last twenty years I taught linguistics, methodology, and pedagogy. I was a teacher trainer for teachers who were going to teach English. I swear, this is what I did. So I'm actually into linguistics really heavily. I know, right? It doesn't make any sense, but there it is. One thing I found out when I was when I was studying linguistics and actually teaching it is that there are, as of now, and I'm sure it's going to change, there are six centers in your brain that all, they used to think there was one language center, completely wrong. There are at least six centers. Now they're doing MRI studies so they can see it. There are six centers that all interrelate with very complex um, neuro neurological firing in order to think something and then say it and then hear it in the feedback loop, right? If that makes sense. So me talking to you right now, I have no idea what I sound like. I'm thinking about it. It's coming out of my mouth. Um, and then people who have cognitive problems, I teach, right now I, I tutor autistic kids. They, they, they can think often of what they want to say, but the connections aren't good enough for them to put together a sentence like I am right now, often. So, so as I started doing this werewolf magic stuff, I realized everything I was doing was nonverbal. And I realized the minute I said anything, it stopped. I came right out of the trance state. Because, and it makes sense, right? Because my animal self, my lower cortex doesn't have the, doesn't have the, the wiring for talking and, and talking and listening and all, that, all of that interconnection, meaningful stuff, right? So, so I was like, okay, how do I express things? How do I create ritual work without talking? And then, and the wolf spirit just sort of sat there and looked at me and was like, we're, you know, wolves talk. <laughs> wolves communicate a lot, which is true. If you do the kind of deep study I did on wolves, they, they are very, very proficient at communicating that, you know, whether their ear goes up or down or both ears go this way and, or their, the, the tilt of their head and the, the different sounds they make, they communicate quite complicated things. So I was like, oh, oh, duh, okay. So I'm not good enough to make my ears, you know, signal anything. But I just took, I took, you know, I said, all right, I'm just going to take the stuff that the wolves do and work with it. So, you know, up howling brings the energy up, oh, right? And down howling brings energy down, oh. And if you listen like I did for like many, many, many hours, if you listened to wolves and they have an incredible variety of things that they talk, that they use to communicate. So there's, you know, there's growling, which is really more bear-like, but I, 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 I'm working with the animal spirit, so I'm not being too picky. And that's like, right, that's up. And then brings it down. So the idea of like bringing energy up and down in key moments and key ways, it's kind of like a, I don't know, I want to say a ballet, but it's with werewolves, I guess. It's been very, very useful. And then the one that really has turned out to be very important and very easy is what I call rumbling which is when animals, um, wolves do it to a certain extent, bears do it, they, they growl, but with their mouth closed. So it's like, like that. Not, but, and, if, and then piecing it all together or piecing a lot of it together, you start looking what the shamans do, right? They rock and you add, you add the nonverbals rocking, swaying, right? Drumming, 
Right? That 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 it's a kind of it's a kind of it's, it's inducing trance states. It's a pretty easy way to do it. Drum came later. That came into werewolf pack magic. I got. I actually have a shaman's drum. Well, I was and thinking too of like dancing because I mean that's a common technique used to bring about this dancing too. Yeah, yeah. When I'm when I'm working with a group, we do swaying, and then we do rocking as the two main things. But once we get into that state, and it takes quite a while to really go into that true shape shift, shut down my brain state. Um, to really get full all the way there is at least an hour of this sort of thing. And then once we're in our animal state and we want to maximize that, that feral state, that, that, that deep trance state, then we run around. <laughs> we dance, we, we do whatever, but often what happens is everybody starts chasing each other <laughs> or just running around, just running around. Because once you're in that true animal state, you don't really think, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Actual formal dancing is not what most shamans that I've seen do, because that requires a lot of cognition. Yeah, like, I know what you're saying. It's yeah, more like yeah. you're just kind of feeling it, like letting your body go loose. Right. And yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. What, what the Vikings called seething, too, which is shaking. That's another good one. And you know, so I'm I I'm, I I just I I try I try things. I go, nah, that didn't work so well. Let's try this. Okay, that works. And by the time I went to Starwood and had you know 200 people, I had all my bag of tricks. And I was like, well, I don't know. It works for me and five other people that I work with, but I don't know if this is gonna work with them. Oh my god, they went. It was it was. I had people. I had a bunch of people who were running around the circle on all fours. I can't do that. <laughs> I can't run around on all fours. How do you do that? I have no idea, but they were. So, and then this was interesting. And I've had this, I've had people say this, but I didn't have a whole group of people yell at me, growl at me rather. They didn't want to come back. They didn't want to, they didn't want to like, cause I, I always end by bringing everybody together and then bringing them out of the trance state, right? I mean, that's called good, good thoughtful way to run things, right? And they were like, they didn't want it. They didn't want to do it. It took me like a good half an hour to wrangle them all together and, and just be the alpha, you know, and just tell them like, get over. and then, and then it took a while to get them down. And then a hundred of them were like, Oh God, that was great. And left and a hundred of them wouldn't leave and said, we want to do it again. So I ended up doing three sessions at, at Starwood with these guys. I mean, they, they were, I don't know what to say. They were into it. I, I, was as floored by it as anybody. I thought I'd have like three or four people. I wasn't expecting that. So dancing, I think once you're in that state, sometimes I'll dance, but I'll just let my body do what my body's gonna do. I don't I don't think like like doing like doing a waltz would not work, right? Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, like you got, yeah. you know, because it's like formal dancing is like in contrary oftentimes to what your body wants to do. Whereas like in the shamanistic kind of stuff, it's like you're doing what your body's telling you feels natural, you know. Right. I mean, they have some things that they've sort of patterned. Like there's certain like I saw I saw Kachina dances in the uh, in the um, Hopi. 
Uh, well, I was also they, thinking Beer Chief too. That yeah. was such a big and they, part of they like they like they'll like tap you know they'll like tap their feet and move their shoulders. Uh, and and that's that doesn't require any cognition. And and uh, the different shamans and I'm not a shaman. I mean, I'm going to be right up front. I am not. I came to this. This is my own thing. But I've met a bunch of shamans and they have a lot of wisdom and they have a lot of practice. And these, I mean. Like, all right, the Ulchi, the, the Ulchi, when, and this is an this is a conversation I have with people who tell me they're shamans. I'm like, I'm sorry, but I know real shamans. They, they are born that way. And they get, they discover their shamans when they're four years old, three or four years old, when the animal spirits start to talk to them. And so like the woman I was, I was interviewing and talking to, she said, yeah, it was terrible. When I was four, I woke my parents up and said, mommy, daddy, the animal spirits are talking to me. And they both started crying. They both started crying. I said, why? She goes, because, because it meant I was a shaman and they did not want me to be a shaman because nobody was going to marry me. And it was going to be a rough, short life because shamans work hard and are, you know, they, especially if they leave their body, like actually go that extra step of leaving their body, which is what the real werewolves in ancient history were able to do they were able to take their energetic field and push their 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 consciousness into a wolf shape and then they went into a deep coma and that i've read this over and over again different countries different different when i found like how they did it and they and then they would and then they would go forth as a sort of an energetic wolf which is interesting because over and over again the other thing that's interesting is i saw people saying that the, they knew it was a werewolf because it had human eyes. Anyway, there's all this weird stuff. So, but yeah, she when she found out she was a shaman, they then said, "Well, now you have to go. You have to go live with the shaman, and he's going to teach you." So, from like a childhood on, she worked with the shaman every single day, and became the shaman of the whole tribe, which is, I don't know, amazing to me. I mean, I didn't. I didn't ask her to tell me any secrets. She just told me what she wanted to, me to know. But so it's it's directly connected with animism. It's directly connected with the spirits. But all the spirits are in us. I mean, there it's all here. You know, there's nothing really that mystical about it. It's just that we we have a way we're thinking that is unfortunately we've been shoehorned into a Judeo-Christian culture. And we can't escape it. The only time I was able to really escape it and see a wider view of the universe was when I lived in Japan, which is an absolutely, you know, Buddhist, Shinto, animistic culture. And it took me two years to kind of step out of the whole Judeo-Christian mindset. And when I moved back, I was totally shocked at how much it permeates everything we do, everything we say all our holidays, the way we dress, the way we build things. I, I mean, what can I say? I'm trying to step out of it again. And I find that once I'm out of that, once, I, once I'm into that space, I'm a lot happier. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe in heaven and hell. I don't, I don't believe there's this one God that wrote this book that tells us all what to do. I've read the Quran, I've read the Bible. You know, I've, I've read the Torah. I, I've read them all. Yeah, yeah. 
No, it's all it's all good. <laughs> now, something else that's really been coming back a lot lately is scrying. I mean, typically in the mm. form of angel magic, but you've come mm. up with a novel way of applying it to werewolf magic. So how did you uh, adapt this ancient precedent into your own system here? Um, symbols started to come. And actually, werewolf pack magic, and you should be getting a copy soon, I hope. And if not, you tell me, all right? Um, werewolf pack magic has a bunch as as my so i didn't have a pack i was just doing this myself i, I went to different festivals and presented and got people into it and, and and started to realize holy moly this is i can do this with a lot of people and it's not just me having a you know some sort of episode <laughs> I, I it's actually a real thing that works um i started getting more and more symbols and you have werewolf magic and you can see on the cover several symbols and when you go through there you'll see several symbols that kind of came uh to me at different points um to to sort of help me anchor some of the ideas and and things that this that the wolf spirit and the other spirits were bringing to me um what i then would then by pack measure once i had a group i changed a lot of my techniques and my ideas because I, we were started working together and I realized that some of the things I was doing could be enhanced and improved. Um, and I would work with them and say, you know, does this work? Does that work? What do you think? So werewolf pack magic is actually a little, in some ways, um, a little tighter. And actually the praxis ritual for going into a trance state has been significantly changed uh, in the pack magic. So I, I took all these symbols started to come and I started putting them on cards. And actually my drum is covered with the symbols as well. And I, I was told, I was basically like told, inspired and told, put them together. You know, you have, you have something very important there that, that's animistic and nonverbal and it's, it's, a, it's prescribed. So I actually put them together into a deck and I'm selling the deck. The deck is online. It's online. I, I, I'd have to find. I'm really terrible about selling things, but it's called the Werewolf Pack, the Werewolf Magic Deck, and it's through a game. A friend of mine in Europe said, "You know, go to this game maker place and send them everything." And lo and behold, they made a really lovely oracle deck with a booklet and everything. Um, and we use it. We use it uh, when we're doing work. Not not every time, but sometimes we we're, we're like, hey, do you, do you guys want do you want a, a, a card? Do you want to, do you want to see where things are at? Or when, for example, we're trying something new, some new ritual practice or some new new thing, we'll pull a card to see what does it say. You know, what 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 is it? So it's it's the whole the whole oracle deck is is really animistic, came in bits and pieces, has no connection with tarot or or anything like that. It's it's a primordial deck of images, symbols, primal symbols that are germane to that world, I guess I'd say. I don't know. Um, but we also do scrying with a black mirror. And I, I actually stole that from Welsh. Good old black mirror. <laughs> yeah, Welsh traditional witchcraft. And I don't I should say Oh, not the Rosh, not the ones from Amwork. <laughs> no, no. No, my the the Welsh trad ritual uses a black mirror a lot in different and, and in very unusual ways, um, and I don't know where it came from. I don't know where some of some of the Welsh trad stuff came from, but I, I black mirrors are really potent 
And when I was in Mexico, I got an obsidian black mirror. It's just a, a large polished piece of obsidian that's astoundingly potent to me. And, and then, I, and I talked to people in Mexico uh, near, near Teotihuacan and, and also in my different Mayan areas I went to. And they say, oh, no, 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 we've been using, we've been using, uh, we've been using this as, as, a, as a mirror for, for thousands of years. This has been around forever. Um, and lo and behold, they're in the museums too. So the idea of this black mirror, and you know, it doesn't have to be obsidian, but that's not a bad thing, um, is really old, really potent. And so we have, as a, as a pack, we've, we've used that for scrying. Um, but first we, first, we go into a trance state. We go into a deep trance state. And, and, or even before that, we choose, wh what are we, where are we going with this? What are we doing with this? And sometimes we'll take a, a card from the deck. Like, for example, there's one, there's one uh, for, for, for healing. Um, there's another one for conjure. For, for spell work. So there's some really primal things, protection. There's a fang one that's for protection. So we'll put it, I'll put it down and then we'll put the mirror on top of it. And we'll, we'll go into our trance state and then gather and stand around. And I, ha I actually have a whole way of doing it. It's in wearable pack measure. But we just, we rock and we rumble like this, right? For, and we just, and we go for, we go for a while until we, we can go into it and see what we see. And then we come out and then when we're done with, with our craziness and our werewolf magic, um, we, we come out of it and there's a whole <clears throat> second section of the praxis ritual for, for, for coming out of the trance state. Um, and there's all kinds of techniques that I've stolen from lots of places, like seething, shaking, stomping, uh, and, just, and just breathing and, and letting it all come up. Um, and, and, and just bringing... bringing Visualization is important. Letting the animal, letting your werewolf self, your your animal self, go down, sink down into into the darkness of your unconscious, and letting your 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 human self come up. So we do a bunch of these things, and once we're out of it, we're all kind of like, you know, and then we then we look at then we look at what we talk about what we each saw, you know. So what did you see in the mirror? And it's remarkable how often it's very very similar. Um, I think the first time we all did it, we all saw the wolf spirit, like all, all of us. And we all went, huh, what did you see? Oh, I saw the wolf spirit. Oh, me too, me too, me too, me too, me too. What did it look like? And we all had the same thing. It was, it was kind of funny. So, so yeah, we do scrying. Animistic scrying. Well, no, it's fascinating to me because, um, I mean, with the whole notion of scrying, uh, you know, there's obviously a school of thought that it goes back uh, to the practice of theurgy from the very ancient world, and especially the Egyptians were extremely adept at that. Yeah, well, I mean, it obviously predated the, I mean, yeah. Yeah, they had their traditions even before yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. the Egyptians were just fabulous with it, and I mean, there's all the accounts of the statues coming to life, but it just sort of reminded me, though, I mean, in Egypt, especially Especially the deities were often uh, depicted in animal form, which right. often coincided very much with the practices of theory right. they were doing. So it kind of seems like in a way what you're talking about here is almost like a natural progression from it that is. particular tradition. It is. So I, my master's degree is ancient history, and my master's thesis was a comparative study of the sun gods of Mesopotamia and Egypt. Really not useful for getting a job, but it, it was great fun. And one of the things I found out when I was doing a lot of I'm doing a lot of research on Egyptian 
was that the gods were all animals before they became half animal, half human. So like the Apis bull, which I'm sure you know, the Apis bull was Apis, you know, and, and, and the hawk, a hawk on a stand in the temple was the god Horus. And a, a, horn, a, a bull, a horned cow, right, was Hathor. And so the animals were, and this is in every single culture, the animals were our first deities. Then, then we turned them into half human or like the Greeks, complete human, right? And there, you still have the occasional throwback, like Pan. Pan, Pan didn't quite make it all the way to human, right? Because he's really old. He's old, 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 right? So, so the animals were, I mean, this, and this is what tribal people say to me. The animals are our spirits. They are, they are the, they tell us things. They give us omens that, you know, like, it's, it's not that complicated and it's, it's actually pretty straightforward and it's a major part of our, of our ancient history. But monotheism has trashed it all because once you believe there's only one deity, then everything else is just is evil, right? So yeah, the Egyptians, the Egyptians, the, the, the oldest Egyptian temples, like the oldest temples of Horus had a, had a hawk in it. And that's what they worship. I was floored. I was totally floored. I was like, wow, that never would have occurred to me, you know? Well, yeah. on the, uh, the topic of Egypt, let's get back to one of the more uh, also OG religious motifs from it, Sirius. Uh, how do you see Sirius relating to uh, oh, wow. cults? Big, 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 big thought. Um, so you've read Werewolf Magic, right? Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. And I have, I have a ritual to Sirius in there. Yeah, that's why I was like curious about your more yeah, yeah, yeah and, but, but. I I okay because I've been in the OTO, I've been in Kenneth Grant's OTO. Whoa, right? I'm I'm in the regular OTO now, and if I tell them I'm in Kenneth Grant's, I was in Kenneth Grant's OTO. Everybody backs away slowly, like I have to play. But but I mean, Sothis or Sirius was a big deal in Grant's OTO, and 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 other things have been very interesting to me, and I've done I've done work with. With Sirius, and then I started to, to research it. Um, first, I was doing it. I was doing a. a I did an essay um, on Greek history, and and talking about Sothis or Sirius, and how they considered it to be uh, a star of ill omen, but also a super potent star. So there was a lot of there was a lot of interesting stuff about Sirius. Um, what I didn't realize was that a lot of people considered Sirius to be the wolf star it became the dog star but before that it was called the wolf star and that's what hooked me in right i was like i'm doing i'm writing werewolf magic and i'm like oh da, 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 da. and i'm and i'm i'm in deep into some musty old book and i'm like well the you know sirius which used to be the wolf star became the dog star during the during the hellenistic period you know but the hell the hellenistic period is kind of when writing and and history actually started to get written down more. And I thought, wow, that never occurred to me because I think it's an incredibly powerful star to work with. And I've had some, I've done other ritual work with other people that had nothing to do with werewolf magic where we invoked Sirius at different times in certain magical ways and got some real powerful um, 
reactions and, and input. So I, I decided to try it for, you know, the werewolf magic thing. And what I found was that uh, when I when I when I went into a deep trance state, and then that ritual that I, I wrote, I mean, it, it has, it has, it has a, a, a sigil of Sothis that actually was from, uh, um, what's his name? Shit, I know I've lost it. One, one of the, one of the, not Paracelsus, but someone like Paracelsus. So it's pretty Western. But when I, when I did this, when I did the serious thing, I had an amazing uh, visualization. Like I had an amazing, amazing input of power and energy and visual, visualization. It helped me figure out something that I was trying to work out in terms of werewolf magic. It really did. It was just like, oh, okay. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I, I, am, I am a historian and I'm, and I'm a university teacher, but honestly, I go with what works. I'm not a big fan of grimoires or any of that stuff. I'd like uh, too many diagrams. I, 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 I want stuff to happen now. I mean, I want to work with stuff and make it work. I mean, that's why I'm a tantric. I do, I do different tantric rituals to get to not, I don't, there's nothing I really want. I just want to have gnosis, direct gnosis. I mean, I'm a sucker for direct gnosis. And werewolf magic has been the most healthy thing. I've just been through a really hard time. I had two heart surgeries and blah, 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 blah. I don't even want to get into it. They thought I had stomach cancer. I don't. I don't have any of this stuff. And now I'm now I feel fantastic and great. But as, as I went through this, actually it was the werewolf magic stuff that made me made me much more positive. When I went into a trance state and I could feel my body and feel what was going on and be just a pure animal, like the energy of the 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 energy of nature and the energy of the earth and the energy that I was that I, because I was so worried and thinking so much, I was blocking all that positive energy. When I shut it down, all of a sudden, there was plenty of energy for me. And, and that really, I think it really helped. It's made me, made me happier and better. You get a bit into your concept of the fetch. Oh God, yes. I, I, in fact, werewolf pack magic, you're gonna love it. There's a, there's a whole chunk about the fetch, but I talk about it in werewolf pack magic. I mean, we can't talk about fetch without talking about medieval witches and the Norse. The concept, the, the concept of the fetch probably came from the Romans and the and the the Norse, the, the because they both had this idea that you could take your energy, what I call the animal self, right? You could take, you could build this up, uh, and you could. You could take this, you know, the double, you take the double, the energy, the, the, the auric field, which is not flaky. We have an auric field. We, we have an energetic field. Our whole body is running on energy. Found this out about my heart. And we can use it through our consciousness and, or, and through our will. And we can, we can place our consciousness in it and send it out, which is probably how a lot of the actual werewolves did it um and it, it, i don't know if you read the last ritual in my werewolf magic book and i i basically said kids don't do this at home i think i i am pretty sure i figured out a very legitimate way that real leaving your body as a werewolf was done 
and it's it's the last thing in the book. I don't know. Did you read that one? Yes, I believe I did. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you want to get into it some more, you're more than welcome. Well, it, it's just what shamans do, except it was in the where I actually found how to do it was in Slavic sources, which did, had not been destroyed or thrown away. It, it's it's like the shaman, like shamans go into a trance state and leave their body, and and the, their their human body goes into a coma, essentially a coma, self-induced coma, and they leave their consciousness and they go into the underworld, help people find the way to the other side or they go out and they find elk or deer and this is a this is a normal thing um body retrieval they they do that kind of stuff um people nowadays in america say oh yeah i do body retrieval no you don't <laughs> not unless not unless you've been training with the shaman since you were like five you, the, these people literally go into a coma and leave and it takes them three or four days to recover and like 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 the shaman I talked to, she said, "This is what we don't live that long. We often don't live very long because we just wears this out." So, so this lead so fetch fetches are a little bit different in that you don't have to go into a full coma uh, and leave your body and go into the form of a wolf and go out, which is probably what the real werewolves did, because lots of times people would be attacked by werewolves. And they would shoot them and nothing would happen or they would, you know, or they would disappear or whatever. But like that story I told you about the Roman, the Roman werewolf, if you could, if, the, if it was really solid looking and you could stick, you could shoot an arrow at it or stab it, then when that person woke up, they would have that injury. And that's, that's really interesting to me. And I've seen that over and over again, especially in, in medieval stuff. Uh, where they'd find a witch in her house with her hand cut off when, and they, and, and the day before a wolf had attacked and they'd cut its hand off. You, you see this story over and over again. And then like, all right, you're a witch, you're gonna burn. That's what happened. So fetches are safer. In other words, you're taking this and you're, and you're pushing it and you're staying, you're going to a trance, not a trance state, you're going to a fugue state, but you're not going to a full coma. There's, great, there's, there's gradients of this. And I'm not, I myself am not going to go into a full coma and leave my body. I'm not good at it. I haven't been trained. I'm that, no. But I will go into a trance state and go into a complete fugue state and, and work with my, my werewolf. Now that I've built up my animal self, I can, I can slip into my, my werewolf form and I can take that and send it out to see things. I can send it into a black mirror for scrying. And, and this, the, the, the witches called it a, a, a fetch, and the Norse called it a phlegia. And it's exactly the same thing. In fact, the Norse probably had a closer description of what that was. Um, keep in mind, the only reason why the Norse had so much input on a lot of this stuff is one, their holy books were saved, but two, it took, they were the last culture for Christ, that Christianity conquered. They were the very last. They were pagan till the very end. Um, and even then it was very hard. Like, in, I don't know, I've been to Iceland and half the people are, are Norse. Half the people are, they call, they call them Odinists. Um, and I had people say things to me like, oh, you know, good weather today, Thor willing. And they weren't being sarcastic. They were being quite le legit. And I got to hang out with some of the, the Odinists there. So, so that's, I mean, the fact that there's actually a survival a living survival of their paganism 
is, is tells you the, how late it took for Christianity to come in and try to wipe it out. So the witches did what they could do, um, but they were, they were, you know, slaughtered uh, for the, a lot of them, were, unless you were really, really smart and went away. And I found it, it, that in the Slavic areas, like right now, there's a huge revival in Poland and, and lots of Slavic areas of the old paganism because the church, the, the Orthodox church didn't kill as many witches. You know, they didn't, they didn't. Well, yeah, they didn't really have an inquisition in the Orthodox they, churches. They, they did kill witches if they caught them, but they didn't have an inquisition. And, and, and so there was, and there was a lot of pressure, you know, to convert, but yeah, they, there's the Slavic stuff kind of went underground, but it's, it's amazing. It's coming up now. Well, I mean, there was also, you have to kind of remember, I mean, within the Byzantine Empire, quote unquote, I mean, Neoplatonism also really more or right. less survived openly in a lot of forms. I mean, it was, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of the Orthodox Patriarch, but he was really the one who brought a lot of the Neoplatonic uh, texts over to Italy, uh, you know, like in the 14th century before um, oh, yeah. the Tien Tien Empire collapsed. And that was like really what started out, you know, the alchemical revival and yeah, all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His name is Pluthian. Yes, yes, yes. Thank yes. you. Yes. I just saw, and the only reason I know is at Starwood, I went, the, the foremost authority of this stuff Who's he has like a PH two PH? Oh, the guy who wrote the game of uh, Sad yes. uh, Peter uh, Mark yes. Adams. Yes, he, yes, I've been. I a got to teacher. see his Yes, he's amazing. Yes, yes, and the incredible system Plethion did of of like a very organized, you know, Greek and Greek mostly Greek gods and days and and he had he had yeah it was astounding. I had I never heard of it before, and he's like oh yeah he had he was a priest. He was ostensibly a, a priest and had a monastery, but it was all pagan. <laughs> it was all it was all pagan and a revival of the Greek, and, and I guess Greek and Roman. But it sounded like they were all Greek. And, well, yeah, and I mean, you also had like the blogamies. I mean, that's kind of like what I'm saying. I mean, and arguably, like Gnosticism never really went away in a lot yeah. of the Orthodox churches. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it, you know, I think there's also like a tendency when we talk about like the Christian worldview to assume that like what prevailed with Western, with the Catholic Church and especially Protestantism was universal. But it was, I think in a lot of ways, it was a very different experience for Eastern Christianity. I think so, too. I agree with you. I, I it's really Protestantism that is that is. The yeah. And that, I mean, in turn, really, I mean, drove secularism, which I mean, exactly. just basically, yeah, right. yeah. Right. Once, once hypercapitalism and Protestantism locked locked together, then they took they took the scripture, you know, they took Genesis that said, "You have dominion over the earth; you can do whatever you want." And the capitalists all went, "Oh yeah, okay, then we can do anything we want." And that's why we have the disaster that we have that will be insanely intense. I, I hope that I'm long gone before the real, the real, uh, the real, I don't know how to say it in a nice way. The real collapse. The real shit hits the fan moment. Yes, that's it, pretty much. <laughs> the, the real, the real collapse of nature, you know, it's gonna, I mean, we are, I mean, they just unearthed that, you know, Exxon knew in the 1950s that global warming was happening. You know, they, they knew, they knew, but it was like, oh, well. And I've talked to born again Christians, and when I say to them, "Well, what about 
the natural disaster. And their reaction is, oh, the, the rapture is coming very soon. Don't worry about it. And this is what a lot of these people believe. They believe that, you know, the end is coming. Jesus is coming. The end is coming. So rape and pillage all you like, the earth. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's going to be the end. We're, we're heading towards the end. So it doesn't matter. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What about those of us who don't want the end? <laughs> what about those of us who would prefer not to end the world, you know? Oh, well, this is this is where we are. <laughs> so it seems like you developed a variation summoning your own holy guardian angel. But in your case, it seems to be summoning your holy guardian werewolf. I, I really well, dug that. So can you get into that right a bit for us? Well, one of the things, I think one of the books that you didn't mention, I wrote a book called Your Holy Guardian Angel and You. So I actually did the Abermelon ritual for, for an entire year. This was in 1980. I really have gotten around. <laughs> I did the entire Holy Guardian Angel ritual. Yeah, that's pretty I, hardcore, too. It was hardcore. It was hardcore. And it worked. Like, it, it worked. Do, do you want to hear about it? I mean, I can give you like a five, two minute. Yeah, minute. sure, sure. Go for All it. Right. I won't tell you the whole thing because the, the, the ritual itself just, I started off by saying, okay, where, where can I get a book that tells me how to do it? There was no book. So I ended up writing it. I wrote it myself because... I had to find bits and pieces. Abermelon had some and a lot of gobbledygook. And it's mostly like read the Psalms every day. No, that wasn't going to work with me. Um, but I found a lot of sources. Uh, Crowley had several. In the Vision of the Voice, he has one of the aethers where he basically is, is, is doing sort of, some, some sort of psychedelic thing. All of a sudden he goes, oh, here's how you do the knowledge and conversation. It's just written right there. Very simple. You know, you just, you just have to do, you just, you have to first get a short invocation of your Holy Guardian Angel. You, you have to, you have to build a relationship with your Holy Guardian Angel. Then, then, then you will get a short invocation that your angel gives you. And that's, that's the key. That means you're ready to start. And then you, you have to do it four times a day. And, and it's different, different books say different things. Some say three months. No, that's not enough. Some say six months. That's probably enough. I did it for a full year. Because that was, I don't know, I was excessive and this is what I did. And I didn't have, I don't know, I wasn't married, I didn't have kids. I, I, this is what I did. So when I went through it and, I, and I, I had ups and downs, like I didn't invoke all the demons and all that crap. I mean, the demons came anyway, you know, so you don't have to invoke it. Like your, your, your dark side, your shadow comes up when you start invoking your angel your shadow, you know, Crowley's famous quote, you know, you have to, if you reach for, if you reach for the, the light, you also have to reach down into the blind creature of the slime is what he says. Oh, very Crowley. And what Jung more intelligently calls the shadow, right? And, and so I went through this whole thing. And then, and then one day I'm, I'm, I was in my ritual circle in my, I, my, I was, I was, I had, was done with college. I was living with my mom. There was a, I had my room was upstairs and there was an extra room. And I said, mom, I'm going to turn it into a temple. Okay. And she was like, I don't, I don't care, whatever. So I had two friends with me. So I actually have proof of this one. And we were, we were all doing something else. And then we stopped and did the setting sun adoration, which you might know. Hail into the earth, summon thy setting, blah, 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 blah. And it, it's a very short thing. And we were done with what we were doing. And I had already done my HGA stuff. And and as, as I was doing it, all of a sudden, the entire room went black, like completely black. And I had no idea. I, 
I stopped cognating. I didn't know what was happening. And then there was this point of light and it came closer and closer and closer to me. And, and it, it, it got bigger and bigger and it was my Holy Guardian Angel. And I actually, I actually have a, I did a painting of it because I wanted to remember it. It was this writhing mass of blue and, and white energy with sort of wing, wings. And, and it came right up to me and it was so intense and so powerful that it, it literally was, my whole body was shaking. I was getting overloaded. It was way more than I could handle. And then it just said, it just gave me a download, like, like plugging a zip drive into my head. And I, I got this tsunami of stuff. And what my friends saw was I was talking to them and going, la, la, la. And then I stopped. And I, and I just was like this. And they kept saying, Denny, Denny. And I, I didn't know. And then I, I fell face first right on the ground, right on the hardwood floor. Bam. And um, they thought they thought I had a heart attack, you know, and they thought they thought I was and they, they managed to get me up and they managed to pick me up and take me to my bed. And I was so sick. I was so incredibly sick. It was like I was jerked out of my body and jerked back into my body and I was shaking and I was nauseous and felt very, very ill for about two to three hours and then kind of came out of it. And, and all of a sudden I realized I had this incredible download of stuff and my brain was spinning and I grabbed my books and just started writing. So for three days, I just wrote everything. It just, it just went like this, like piles of stuff. And then at the end, I was like, oh, well. And my, it, almost my sounds like Phil, it almost sounds like Philip K. Dick's Vallis experience. Right? Thank you. That was, but later, later I thought, Wow, this is just like Ubik or Vallis, you know. And then I was like, wait a minute, he died of a brain tumor. I don't want that. <laughs> so, and he claimed it was from Vallis that the that the download. All yeah, exactly. Is, yeah, yeah. All I can say is it was an intense preternatural download, and it has informed everything I've done since then. Like I still am checking off the boxes of stuff that I got to download on. So that and then werewolf magic is kind of the flip like it's not the shadow per se but it is the shadow it's our it's our beast self which are like i mean i'm just going to bring it up again i'm going to bring up judeo-christianity again because most occultists group in a judeo-christian format a, a wraparound world and he, my friends were in the golden dawn there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, Christian symbolism and you know my friends who are even my friends who are are, are Thelemites who, who are in the OTO there's there's the crosses and stuff are in there and there's a it, there's still that thing like well there's good and bad you know there's good and bad there's devils and angels and I as you know the more I the more I actually unfold as an animist there aren't nothing is fully bad and nothing is fully good there are just different things you know and and our highest self, our highest spirit, our our angel, if you were, which I I, I prefer the term holy guardian spirit. My my tantra guru Guru Dev Dadaji Mandrana said the the three the three monotheistic religions he calls them the black dharmas because he says that they 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 have destroyed uh, paganism. They've destroyed the natural way we should be doing work. And 
in in tantra your your atman right your atman or your 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 guru is your holy guardian spirit right and th that's the term they use a spirit not not angel but but okay that's the ka right but but we can't we don't want to like ignore the ba or vilify it our animal self is awesome people go into full animal self fugue when they're in danger your upper cortex shuts off there's been story after story of mothers lifting cars off their kids right you've heard this and people in war like with two broken legs picking up people and running off the field think they just they go into this pure body re reaction you know this this pure instinct uh and that's one of the things i talk about in werewolf magic is instinct is the core of it intuition and what was the last <laughs> instinct intuition and insight so it sort of works its way up the body instinct is your gut it's down in your base center your chakra system your genital center it's instinct when we when we go out and screw somebody it, we shift into an instinctual mode and if it's really good we go into a full animal mode right i mean this is just this is just how things are people don't want to think about it though right and sort of vilify oh when you're an animal oh that's not good yeah it is now if you're an animal and you slaughter people it's not good but if you're having like a wild sexual experience or you're or you're swimming, in, you know, you're you're swimming in a in a pond in the middle of the mountains, and you just go into this ecstatic state. These are all good things. So I don't see the angel and the devil in this anymore. I don't a demon in that. I I I just say, look, we have. I like Jung. We have ourself and we have our shadow, and they both have an important part to play. And I've done enough in my life. I've done enough. Holy guardian angel, you know, ka, you know, self stuff that this has actually been a great, the problem with all that stuff is it made me way too nice. I mean, in, in, the, in the very ugly divorce I had, because my ex was nuts, um, it, I, I was way too nice. I, if I had a little bit more werewolf in me, if I had a little, I would have walked away with more things. I would have fought to keep my house and my studio, you know, but I'm, I'm a, I've been too, I've been, I'm a very nice guy, but, the werewolf magic has given me a bit more of a, of a backbone, a little bit more, like I growl at people. <laughs> I, I had a student come up to me one time. I teach graduate level students, right? I had this guy come up to me and give me a paper and it was really crappy. And I just stood there looking at it and, and I'm like, ah, oh, what do I, you know? And, and he looks at me, he goes, Mr. Sergeant, are you growling? And I was, I didn't even realize it. I was going, I go, no, 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 I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Look, redo this paper. So I don't know. I'm, I'm happier. I'm happier. I'm better. I'm more embodied in my body. Uh, yeah, I kind of know the feeling. I mean, I definitely went through a bit of a transformation in the last three years myself. And I think that was a big part of it, too, was getting a bit more of a backbone. But uh, it's another story, though. It's definitely kind of a magical mystery one as well. But uh, I'll have to show good. that some other time. Good for you. Good for you. But, uh...
Okay, so shape shifting. I know you've been kind of hinting at this a little bit uh, throughout the interview, but in your mind, is there a literal shift, a spiritual one, a psychological okay. one, or a combination I, of all three? I I have okay. If people want to reach me, they can reach me on Facebook, Denny Sargent, right? But I, I have an author page too, Denny Sargent author, uh, and I get a lot of people come through there. And by the way, if you could tag it, tag werewolfmagic.com. That is my base. That is my website. That is where I have a lot of stuff. And it's also where you'll find a lot of ritual from my werewolf magic book if people are interested and a bunch of other things. So um, I, I, oh yeah, wow. It's a really good one. How, how do you want me to answer this? <laughs> Well, I know it's a complex one, but I mean, I know, you know, from what you've been kind of like some of the other uh, things you've been kind of getting at, you know, I mean, I was getting the sense that maybe you're talking about how like, it is possible with the astral body, but in a weird way, the astral body is also connected to the physical one. I mean, it okay. kind of seems like you're hinting at how the okay. astral body can right. actually be wounded and affect you in a physical sense. I, 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 I will, let me, let me make, cause I'm all over the place, of course. Let, let me be really clear. The, the third step of going of becoming a werewolf and being able to leave your body like the shamans do and go into a trance state, I mean, go into a, a coma state, I do not do, I do not want to do. So I don't know. All I, in my book, I just say, this is what the data says. The people who can do that, if you injure their wolf form, if you injure their astral form, they will receive the, the, the damage on their body. I don't have anything to do with that. I've never done it. I'm not planning to do it. I, I, I'm old enough that if I, I don't want to go into a coma, I might not come out of it. I'm perfectly happy the way I am. So I get people through my, through, my, through my Facebook page constantly who are like, I want to really turn into a werewolf, really turn into a werewolf. And I always say the same thing. Are you talking about growing hair and fangs and claws and going down on all fours and having a big snout? If you're talking about all that stuff, no. I don't do that. That's not what this is about. This is about going into a fugue state, going into a trance state. Now, that being said, when when part of the part of the procedure for doing this is to is to it's to, to work with your aura, to work with your your energetic self, and mold it into the form of a werewolf. And I mean, you can pick other animals and that's my next book is gonna be called Feral Magic, I believe. That's what I want it to be. And that, because I have a lot of people say, well, you know, I, I did this at home and I turned into a tiger. I'm like, that's, that's legit animism. That, that is what the spirits that come to you is what you work with. The spirit that came to me, and this is animism. You don't go looking for the spirits. You don't get to say, oh, I like wolves. I'm gonna go turn into a wolf. The spirits come to you. So I, I do what I do, but I'm not going, you're not going to grow hair and fangs. And it, it, that's, a, that's a movie trope. You're going to go into a primal state of consciousness and you are going to, your senses will alter and get stronger. And, and you, you, when, when, I'm with a, when I'm with a group and we're really deep, I can see their werewolf form like like a gel around them if that makes sense 
No, so, I was just thinking of the, you know, the accounts of the Koryos, you know, the soldiers when they went into battle because their opponents, and I'm mean, granted, you know, these guys are wearing wolf skins, they're fighting in a really ferocious manner and what have you, but their opponents, you know, the Hopolites who are in like their proper formations and what have you, sometimes they would look at them and they would get glimpses where they would swear that they were actual wolves yes, that they were yes, seeing. Yes. This is how this is how the and I think that's maybe the spirit that was descending into them. Maybe they're catching a glimpse of that. Well, is it is it an animus spirit or is it just you taking control over your astral body, your your double? I mean, is it both? I think I I think it's both. I mean, I you know, like this is how the Ulfsark and and the Bearsark, the Berserkers, who are wolf. This is how they would they would look much bigger than they really were. They would get stuck with arrows and they wouldn't even feel it because they were in this deep trance state. And, you know, to sort of make it work, and the witches did the exact same thing. They would wear a wolf skin or wear a wolf skin around their belt, you know, or wear a bear skin. So it's this whole, it's, this, it's, a, it's both a psychological thing and a magical thing, but a lot of it is, is working with the energy you have. Most ancient cultures worked with those energies, you know, worked with auras and powers and, and they, because they, they believed this is real and they, they lived in a pagan world where magic and spirits and working with the energy that comes from your body. I mean, that was part of their culture. You know, Christianity pretty cut all that, you know, you, you don't, if you're, if you see ghosts, you're messed up. There's something wrong with you. If you, if you, you know, can leave your body you're you're running with satan anything that has to do with all the stuff that that i've been talking about is considered satanic you know it's considered evil but but it, but most of from from prehistory on these were all parts of the most primal religious things that were done from from neanderthal to to to, to homo sapiens we we've been doing all these things i think it's i don't think it's anything supernatural in in the spirits are there, but but they I, I don't I can't, I don't know what to say. But in terms of actually doing the shape shifting, it's we work with the body energies we have. One of the things I added that I haven't seen anywhere else is the Dantian. Do you know the Dantian? I uh, no, not off the top of my the head. Dantian, you know chakras. The Dantian is the fire chakra in your gut. Oh, okay, it, okay, okay. It's key to Tai Chi, Qigong, and other things like that. And they will say to you, it's not just the, the place of center, it's a place of fire and energy. And when you're doing Tai Chi, you, you literally visualize that energy. And I, I said, this is, this is perfect for shape-shifting. So that's part of what we do when we're rocking and swaying, is visualizing the energy in our gut, filling us and filling out our image as clearly as we can make it of ourselves as werewolves. And... At a certain point, when we're really, when we're really in the trance state, we can see each other's werewolf form sort of glimmering. Well, and, I was going to ask: is is it more intense too when you're doing it in a group as yes. opposed to just because like, so, that reminds me of I think it was a statement that Bruno had made, like effectively when the magician is trying to cast a spell, because like the kind of basis for it to be successful in the first place is that. 
both the magician himself has to implicitly believe in what he's doing, but his audience also needs to implicitly believe in what he's doing. It's that combination of the two yes. beliefs together that gives so much power to a joint ritual. I mean, Robert Anton Wilson, who I love, and I got to, I got to meet him, actually. That was fun. Got drunk with him. Yahoo. That was great. Um, he, he basically said clearly that we get to decide what our perceptual reality is. That reality is a hologram. So if you believe that, that well, for example, I, I've seen people in rituals in Asia stick skewers through their flesh and when they're in a trance and then take it out and there's no blood, right? I've seen voodoo priests and priestesses go into a full, full shift and get possessed by the law and do things that you could, that they could not have done as regular people. I've seen this over and over again. Once you've seen it, then you realize, oh, wow, that's possible. And once something is possible, then you can decide whether you want to buy into it or not. So belief and us deciding what our hologram is, what we're, what we're going to buy into and believe once we're, once we take control of reality, instead of assuming that reality is something that impinges on us, then, then you can make things happen. You can make amazing things happen. I mean, and, and I, I know this, I know this works because it works. I, I mean, people say, well, I don't understand how it works. I'm like, you don't have to understand how it works. I'm going to tell you what to do. You have to, you have to stop thinking that it's not going to work. That's the one thing I'm going to tell them. And you have to be, you have to believe that this is possible. And, and then let's, let's, we'll do it together. And you know, what's fascinating is when I, when I started doing groups of people, it was easier because of mass, mass hysteria, mass, yeah, mass yeah. mob, mob psychology, right? Like, yeah, no, I was almost thinking, well, like, you know, kind of looking at the, you know, the kind of, I hate to keep going back to the curios, but I was thinking from almost a ritualistic perspective and going into the battles, you know, I mean, you're wearing the wolf skins and stuff. You're right. basically using a form of psychological warfare to impose yes. this belief on your opponents. And that's like adding to the power of like right. the ritualism that you're doing. It's, if, it's really quite fascinating believe, from that perspective. Yes. If you truly buy into that that wolf skin and that ritual work and that trans state transforms you into a, a, a warrior that, that is impervious, I mean, there's, there are so many stories of berserkers going into, into British troops and just decimating them. You know, five, five berserkers take down 100 people. How is that even possible? Because they knew they could do it. And they and they and not only they knew it, but they they knew that they were impervious and that they were bears or wolves and their and their upper cortex shut down and they didn't think about or fear. They just went into it. Right. And I, I honestly, I don't I'm, I don't want my people to turn into berserkers when I do this. But it's fascinating to me that when there's a large group of people and I say to them, this is what we're going to do. There's more, I think it's like social media. There's more buy-in. Like everybody just looks at everybody and goes, oh, everyone else buys into this. I guess I will too. You know what I mean? I, I mean, it yeah, was, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't expect this to happen. And, and it, the funny part is, you know, I do it with five people. I do it with 10 people. I did it with 200 people. It was faster. It was faster. 
deeper and crazier. I mean, people running around on all fours, how do you even do that? <laughs> and they didn't want to stop. That, that was like, oh my God, I have to be very careful here, you know? I don't want to unleash 200 raving maniacs on a festival, you know? I mean, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might be fun. I don't know, but I don't know. I don't, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want anybody to get too whacked out. Yeah. So, so I will tell you something funny, though, because in my mind, I'm, I'm you know, I, I teach university. I, I cognate a lot, and I, and I always question everything. Like, well, like, I, you know, I did the whole knowledge and conversation. I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. Then it worked. And I'm like, okay, I know this works. Same with werewolf magic. I'm like, I had to get to a point where I was literally shattered. I was literally suicidal. I was like completely, I'm done with everything. I thought I've, I've done my life. I'm done. I had to get to that point to like buy into this craziness, you know, this wolf spirit and like go into the woods and let loose. I mean, and once I did it, I looked back at my old self and said, man, I was a sorry ass mess. And, and now I feel great. So anyway, one time I'm with my pack. We all did, we all did our werewolf magic thing. It was really powerful. It was really good. Uh, we, we stayed in that state for quite a long time. Um, my dog is a member of the pack too. So then everybody starts playing with the dog and the dog starts chasing everybody. It's really hilarious. But um, afterwards, uh, we were all debriefing afterwards. And I said, okay, I have something I want to ask you, but I don't want you to shout it out. I want to go around the circle. How many of you could see my werewolf? And they all raised their hand. And I said, what does my werewolf look like? And they all said the same thing. You have black fur with some gray, which is exactly how I visualize my werewolf. Now that's freaky, right? And then, I, so we went around the circle, like and the, the, we have, we have uh, you know, we have different people. There was a, a woman who, who said, well, what did I look like? And we all looked at her and we all said the same thing. You are pure white werewolf. Exactly right. We went around, we did everybody. We all got them right. Now, as an academic, I have to stop and ask myself, how is that possible? <laughs> how is it possible that five people all saw me in the werewolf form that I had projected, you know? Anyway. I just thought, I, to me, that was a moment of like, wow, this, there's something to this. I'm, I'm not just delusional, you know? Oh, Maybe yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you can definitely see why some of the mass rituals, you know, like, I mean, Lubricalia and Saturnalia, I mean, had that, uh, that reputation for all the craziness. Because, I mean, I do think, yeah, that's like what happens. I mean, you know, just 200 people. Imagine if it's like an entire city, you know, I mean, thousands and thousands of people all participating in this stuff or the Eleusian mysteries. Or... Oh, yeah. I've, I got to go there. I got to got to go to Lesnar. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, it was a powerful place. I had some real visual experiences. It was potent. That you know, millions of people had 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 left their gnosis there. It was like really something. Just like I got to cl climb down into uh, one of the three pyramids. One of the most potent experiences ever. I mean, we we generate more energy and more power than we have any idea about. That's all I can say. I've seen people do things. Even my coven. My coven would do drawing down the moon. I mean, you know the, the ritual, right? You you know the idea. Yeah, yeah, drawing down the yeah, yeah. Well, most of the time it was very pro forma. And 
a priestess would, oh, the moon's coming down, and we'd all be like, oh, that's nice. I was at one circle where we were outside, and it was a different priestess, a really tight, good, intelligent, sharp priestess. We were outside in the woods with you know, a bunch of candles around it, and she did the drawing down of the moon, and literally, literally, at least to me, and everybody else agreed, she lit up the entire circle. I mean, she lit it up. And, and I, you know, I was, I was, an, I, I had a major moment of like, holy shit, this witchcraft stuff is works. Like I've never seen anybody do this before. I mean, I, I mean, and all you can do is you ask everybody, did you see that? Did you see that? And everybody said, yes. Was it a mass hallucination? Who cares? If it was a mass hallucination, it still was meaningful, right? And kind of powerful. If you can convince, you know, if, 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 you know, 10 people or 11 people are all convinced, yes, I saw that. Just like if everybody in my group says, you're a black wolf with gray, gray hair. I just don't even know where to go with that, except, you know, this is how we, this is how we prove things in, in science, right? If five people all see the same thing or all five people experience the same thing, there's some legitimacy to it. All right. Uh, before we sign off, here's a bonus werewolf movies. I love them. I'm guessing you probably oh, do too. Yeah, so what are too. some of your favorites? Well, I just watched Viking werewolf, which was really dark, but very, very well done. Um, I love <laughs> werewolf cop. Have you ever watched werewolf cop? No, I haven't. I know the poster, though, exactly off the top of my head, but yeah, I've never gotta, seen it. You, you gotta watch it. It's really funny. It's hilarious. It's great. There's two of them now. Werewolf Cop 1 and 2. Okay, they're silly, but they're really fun. That, and, you know, there's a probably my favorite one is a French movie called Where, W-E-R. And it's kind of hard to find, but it's really good and really powerful. And uh, not full of lots of hokey stuff and it's very very good i don't know i like all the werewolf movies i've seen if there's a werewolf movie i've seen them i have friends who feed them to me you know like oh oh here here's a new one for you um i'm trying to think what else would i recommend in terms of werewolf movies i mean i like the remake of the wolfman with uh a, was it benicio was it benicio del toro i don't remember yeah, del toro. Yeah, yeah yeah that was really well done but I'm tired of the trope that the werewolf has no control and and is doomed, so doomed. You know, I, yeah, it gets a little old. That that's you know, even the underworld movies are are really pretty terrible. But at least at least the the werewolves have some agency. You know, in those movies, they they can they actually have have something to do and something to say, and they're not completely you know just going around killing people left and right. I'm trying to think if there's any more that I really like. Um, uh, there's more, I, but I always was a big fan of the ginger snaps. Um, yeah, ginger snaps, good. All three of them are great. Yeah, yeah, all three of them are good. The howling is my all-time favorite. I got howling say. is fantastic. I just rewatched it actually. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big Joe Dante fan too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, me too. In fact, I, my friends just told me I should watch Werewolf the um, the Howling two and three 
Yeah, I actually, the, yeah, because they, I watched the third one recently, and I was kind of surprised, you? but they did do some really interesting stuff with some of the latter ones. Yeah, right. yeah, I'll watch it. Because I mean, it has that, you know, it's kind of funny where, like, you know, we've been talking about werewolf cults and all this, but I mean, that was, I think, one of the only werewolf movies where they actually did sort of pursue the notion of there being like a modern day werewolf cult. I mean, obviously, they're literally oh, yeah? was in the movie. All I know is that they refer to it as the marsupial werewolf movie, and that kind of. Well, no, even in the first one, I mean, it's, you know, basically because you find out at the end, the self-help community is right. essentially that werewolf cult that the guy's yeah. like running there. So, yeah, it's they they could have they could have made it work, you know, and then you just had some people who were like, no, I just want to kill and eat people. So I, I don't know where I have I have a, a whole pile from my research of werewolves that were friendly and helpful, you know. There, there's one very famous one that came out of Livonia, which is the, today it's called uh, Lithuania, about this 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 rich man and his his wife and his and his servants were all you know carrying all this stuff and they were going from one place to another and it got dark and they didn't know what to do and they were in the woods and one of his one of his uh, one of his butlers said, "Oh, I'm a werewolf. I can get us food because the, they didn't have any food." And they said, oh, okay. And he, he ran off into the woods, shape-shifted, killed, 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 killed a deer, dragged it back, dropped it for them, went into the woods, and then came back out, shifted. <laughs> and they were like, bravo, you know, good job, thanks. I just thought that was hilarious. I thought it was like, yeah, it would be really, you know, there's a lot of nice werewolves out there. You need food? Hey, I, I'm hungry. Okay, I'll go get your deer. I, I just love these stories. I, I I don't know any more. I don't know any movies that where the werewolf is actually good. I mean, to yeah, that is kind of an interesting point because especially since you see that a lot with like vampires, especially increasingly yeah. where they're sort of the protagonist, but you don't see that as no, no. Actually, there. What was the Netflix series? Oh gosh, where the kid was part of a gypsy family and oh. Yeah, I watched some of it. It was a little slow for me, but it wasn't bad. Yeah, it definitely had uh, a yeah, bit of a different... Lua Taylor oh, was in it at one point. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I watched, like, the first five. It was okay. He was yeah. a pretty good werewolf. I mean... Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a bit more of a different take. But, yeah, I know what you're saying. Uh definitely seems like it's kind of ripe for a reevaluation because especially now with some of the new stuff that we've turned out, there's a lot you could do with, I think, the whole mythos and film. Have, have you watched Werewolf by Night? Uh, no, no, I have not. That is, I, I, I'm going to change my mind. That's my favorite werewolf movie so far. Interesting. Okay, I'll definitely no, check that one out. Big, I was a big fan of the comics. He's not a bad werewolf. I mean, he he goes a little he goes a little feral, but he's he's a superhero, right? So this is this one, and his best friend is Man Thing. Anyway, it's it's on. Uh, let's see, where is it? uh it's on it's on is it on netflix or disney i think it's on disney but um see if you can find it it's it's not very long i wish it was two hours long it's only about an hour a little bit longer uh, but it's really clever and the, and the guy is suave and debonair and, and very clever and very nice and and you know goes into a werewolf and comes out again and asks for coffee it's funny you'll like it and, and there's some kick-ass fighting scenes in his werewolf frame for me, takes out like, I don't know, 20 people. 
<laughs> I've, I've watched it three times. What can I say? I love this guy. He's cool. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Well, uh, definitely, I will check that out. And also, uh, what was it? Spider Monkey, I believe. Uh, got a couple of good recommendations there, and I'm always looking. Never heard of it. Pardon me. Never heard of it. Oh, was it? Was it? Uh, was it Spider? I thought you had recommended Spider. Something. Oh, Spider Baby. Spider Baby. Okay, okay. That is one of the most twisted things you will ever see. I got yeah. to say. I'm definitely looking forward to checking it out. Uh, yeah, so some good stuff there to look into. Well, sir, I got to thank you. It has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. Oh, you definitely have given me a lot to think about, and we'll have to have you back on here soon. Uh, sure. Love to uh, get into some of the stuff with Nima and Kenneth Grant and the Magic Child and all that other oh good stuff. Oh, my God, let's do it. Yeah, uh, no, I, I really appreciate it. I've really enjoyed this time with you, and... Uh, um, I'm just having I'm just having a hoot. I'm enjoying it. You you have a lot to say, and I'm sorry if I railroaded over. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. No, it's definitely been a great time on my part too, and uh, definitely think all the listeners out there are going to enjoy it. So, uh, do you got anything here you want to plug right quick before we sign off? Just 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 really my website, Werewolf Magic with a K M A G I C K WerewolfMagic.com has a ton of stuff. I'm not really selling much of anything, and I'm I'm terrible at that. But it's got a lot of stuff on it. And I have a blog on that, on there with all the different things. Like the pan rituals I did at, at, at Winterstar are both there. Uh, the Praxis ritual of, of shapeshifting is there. I have a lot of stuff there if people are interested. And I'm on Facebook, Benny Sargent. And if somebody writes me and says, oh, will you, will you, you know, will you let me in to being, to being your friend? I, I, I generally just say yes. I don't care. I'm pretty, I'm pretty affable and open. I'm not a mean werewolf. I'm a nice werewolf. Unless you mess with me. <laughs> <laughs> I occasionally growl and howl at people who cut me off. That is one thing I do. Yeah, I do growl occasionally myself. So It's good. It's healthy. Very it healthy. It is. It is. Well, all right, uh, guys, as always, I want to thank you all so much for listening and support. And with that, I say to you all, as always, good night and good luck to you all. <laughs> Come on baby, pick me up Out here in my wiki up Sick and tired of fucking up Sick and tired of pushing luck Voodoo blue got juice in it Swallow what I'm about to spit Don't got 86 from the copper queen For singing this, I took it to the gold chain Blu-ray, my people there, they're feeling me Down low, skin, roll more characters than Stephen King Quarry, y'all. I ain't in a hurry, y'all. Come on, baby, pick me up. Out here in my wiki, up. Stuck down in the stick. Hut is hot as hell. I tell you what, put it up and knock it down. Moving on that big around. Come on, mama, jump down. Turn around, do it for me. Stick it out. Say one, two, three, Geronimo. Jump, baby, we gotta go. Hands tied, blindfold. Jump into that battle zone. Cause they done let the wolves out They're coming with that heat Mama shooting up the street Mama fight or fight adrenaline You feel that little tingle in your feet Mama no retreat Mobilize your whole fleet Hit the street Tell me that you good for it You want peace, go to war for it